Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to this podcast, season five, episode four. My name is Timothy. I'm in Toronto, Ontario. And I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there, kids. And I'm also joined by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And uh, this may, in fact, be the last episode of Sparkcast because, you know, there's going to be a giant rivalry going on. I don't know if these two guys are going to be speaking to each other after a couple of weeks. <laughs> or after the weekend's over. There's only like two games or something like that. It's, yes, win, three right? games, Friday, Saturday, and, and possibly Sunday, depending on how things go. But uh, yes, the Mariners of Seattle and the Blue Jays of Toronto are uh, are headed to the playoffs. And uh, Jaime, have you got a bet? Have, you, have we got a bet going? Oh, are are we going to do one of those, like, uh, mayors of the cities kind of bets? <laughs> I, I feel like that that's probably appropriate, but uh, I don't know. What's, yeah, what's, good, what's, yeah. the, what's the nerdy sci-fi equivalent of, uh, of that kind of bet? I can't just, like, send hmm. you, like, uh, maple syrup in exchange for, uh, I don't know, what do you guys have, rain? Yeah, the, the, the thing that traditionally gets done for the mayor thing, and... I've got some vague ideas that are like kind of nutty for uh, sci-fi twists. So normally the mayor will do like salmon or smoked salmon or something that travels pretty easily because salmon's pretty big here in the Pacific right. Northwest. I don't know that right. that's, I mean, that could work okay. I have my doubts about getting that through customs. So the next thing that comes to mind <laughs> is like, oh, um, I wonder if I could get like a, a like a celebrity, uh, what is it? Is it Cameo, that app that they do where like, uh, oh, there you go. Get somebody from sci-fi from this region. So some that come to mind are like Chris Pratt or something like I don't know the list. I've not looked at the list, but like find a, a Pacific Northwest Seattle Scully and Mulder, kind of I think sci-fi Scully Mulder, person yeah. and be like, OK, here you go. You win, Jonathan, blah, blah. You know, we'll, we'll come up with the scripts, right? And pay, pay the bucks. This, uh, the this is where I point out the Lexa Doig is from Toronto. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. That is, uh, that is, you know, keep your eye on the prize for this, uh, this weekend is how that's going to work out. Never has a man rooted so hard for the Mariners in all his life. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's kind of like, I don't need the Mariners to win. I need the Blue Jays to lose. <laughs> it's only okay. Okay. <laughs> with nutty things happening in in the quest here so that that's that's a really good one yeah no idea if any of these people are on cameo but we'll we'll find something yeah yeah sounds good 
All right, with that out of the way, we'll start off with some pack check. Uh, I'm going to say Yvonne Stravosky plays Serena Waterford on The Handsmaid's Tale, and I can never remember her name, but she, yeah, I remember her from, what was that show she was on, which was like a, a, a guy from an electronics store, was like a, when she was a CIA agent or something like that. Is that Chuck? That show? Mm-hmm. Chuck, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, she was the, the FBI slash CIA secret agent in that show. And Bella Ramsey plays Lady Ileana Mormont on the Game of Thrones, and she is going to be the co-star of Last of Us, which we talked about last week. And Ibon Moss Barak is in both The Bear and or and The Punisher. Apparently, I haven't seen The Punisher yet, so I don't know him from that, but he's the guy that play, played, uh, was a character's name, Skeev or something like that in Andor? He's the one that keeps I doubting. Think he's skeen, skeen with an N. Skeen. Yeah, yeah. He's the one that keeps doubting um, Cassian Andor. But uh, yeah, he's apparently from from sort of the New England area, which is why he fits into the bear so well. So that's that for the fact check. So we'll jump into the headlines, and Jonathan's going to go first. Yeah. So we'll start with some Trek news this week. The news came from our uh, friends over at Variety magazine that the fourth Star Trek film, which has been sort of talked about off and on, but had always been on the schedule to appear in theaters next year, has officially been bumped. So this isn't a huge surprise given the timing. It doesn't sound like they really got their act together to get another of the J.J. Abrams, Chris Pine, Zach Kinto, Zoe Saldana, Carl Urban, John Cho... Simon Pegg, etc. franchise back in action that soon. They were supposed to be in theaters on December 22nd, 2023. That seemed wildly optimistic considering they it doesn't sound like they've even, you know, settled on a script and all that kind of stuff. Uh so I guess it's not that wildly surprising, but it does again add to the sort of limbo of will they, won't they, are they going to, aren't they going to? Again, they announced that they were going to do this movie. Uh they announced that um you know, Matt Shackman was supposed to be the director, and then he left. And so, yeah, it's um, it's kind of in limbo. So no idea when we're going to see more Star Trek in the movie theater. Begging the question, do you guys care about seeing a, seeing that version of Star Trek ever again and or in the theater ever again? Seeing it, yeah. Whether it's in a theater or not, I don't think it matters. But yeah, I, I like that that cast. Yeah, I think they're running, they're running out of stars, though, right? Yeah, that is that is true. And in terms of care, I I think I care, but not like to the point where I'm super devastated that this thing that seemed like it was going to happen for a while and then we kind of forgot about it because it wasn't and then it was coming back for a minute and then now it's not. Um, I think I will definitely enjoy it when it becomes available. Um, I think I care about it from the sort of angle at 10 was talking about like like i like the cast um but it isn't something that i am uh, fully invested in and i don't think that's a discredit to them it's more like that filled a particular spot a really difficult time for star trek fans where there wasn't new trek um and now we are you know flush with trek where it feels like oh that's okay we'll, we'll just wait it out we've got other shows and other things to watch right doesn't feel as as desperate as it was in the 2009 era where we we really needed something new. Well, I think uh from my perspective, I think it's a nice bonus, but I must admit after the last of those films, I guess it was Star Trek Beyond, it, it was a fine 
you know, it was a, it was a, you know, bag of popcorn movie, but it wasn't, it wasn't a Star Trek. Like it didn't feel very Star Trek-y and yeah. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not clamoring. The only one that really has intrigued me over the last little while and all these rumors and what they're going to do was when they were talking about Quentin Tarantino doing a Star Trek movie. That was like, okay, I want to see that. Yeah, I think that that movie definitely jumped a shark. Like the the only thing missing from that motorcycle scene was a shark, right? Yeah, it 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 kind of was, <laughs> and that's why I kind of feel like maybe it's best that. It, yeah, I, I'd forgotten about that movie now that you mention it. But yeah, if they told me they were going to do a you know all the Star Trek's mashup time adventure mixed cast kind of deal in the theaters, I'd be way more excited than I am about a fourth J.J. Abrams verse one. I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, they've done so much good work with, with the latest bunch of TV shows that, that it kind of eclipses anything they could do in the in the theaters, right? Yeah. Like, you want to see, you want to see um, the other casts maybe in a movie as opposed to, I mean, the other TV casts in a movie. Like, you know, we've had The Next Generation, we've had the original series, right? We've never had a DS9 movie, right? Um, we've never had a Voy movie. Although I think Catherine Janeway was in one of the movies, wasn't she? Um, yeah, she had a cameo in in uh, the last movie, Nemesis. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and you know, and then of course there's the the you know real versions of um, the lower decks uh, crew. Right. They could they could do something. Right. Yeah. Although, is there much left of the the Star Trek? The you're talking original series or no 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 the lower decks folks. Oh, the lower decks. Oh yeah yeah for sure. Yeah yeah like because you know they could all you know um, the guy who plays um, Rutherford could wear, could wear heels, but, you know, to make himself taller. But. Just like to say for the record, as we've been talking, I just took a quick look on uh, Cameo. Tawny Newsom is on there. What do you mean? Well, you know, our, our Cameo bet, potentially. Doug, jo- oh, Doug Jones see. is on there. Right. Emily Coots is on there. Tawny Newsom's on there. We, we get some good stuff going here. Are you talking about, okay, you're back to the baseball <laughs> game? Okay, cool. Circling back around. Yeah, we'll, we'll do what we can there. The, the ideal one is if somebody's, like, from this... You know, our respective areas. But if we really can't find anybody who sort of fits, I was like, okay, well, you know, we'll we'll find a a sci fi related one there. So, like you said, like (laughs) Tony Newsom or Doug Jones doing uh, some stuff would be great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, technically, Carl Urban and Jack Quaid as well, right? Yeah. I mean, we'll see what we can hang around here. Who hangs around Seattle these days? I don't know. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, maybe you do a, um, a connection sort of thing. So, like, I don't know where she's from, but one of her first major characters is in Seattle. That would be Jessica Alba from the um, is it oh, Dark from Angel. Fantastic Dark Four. Angel, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, you're going to go with Fantastic Four or something like that. It's one of those things where I'm just going to have to, like, like I literally don't know. I have to look at the list of folks who are on Cameo and then start doing Wikipedia checks to see, like, who, who's from the Seattle area. Unless somebody, I'm like, oh, you know, like, I knew Chris Pratt is from this region. I know that um, uh, Anna Ferris is from this region. I got to see if she's been in any sci-fi stuff, though. Borderline stuff, like, you know, scary movie and other things that, that yeah. might count in the culture part. Yep. All right, next thing on our list for headlines is we got the first more robust trailer for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. The first one was a beautiful trailer, but it was very much about these sort of random scenes, and it was really kind of hard to piece together much beyond 
the sort of, you know, what does this visual potentially mean? What does this potential visually mean? This trailer gave us a lot more to sink our teeth into. There's some clear moments in this trailer where you're like, oh, that's that, this is this, this is that, that is this. And if you're familiar with the sort of uh, Black Panther lore, there's a lot to be gleaned from all this stuff. So before we get into the potential spoiler of it all, uh, I guess I want to get your impressions, uh, gentlemen, on this new trailer. Looks uh, looks cool. Looks like they're, you know, answering at least a little bit of some of the stuff we were wondering, like, you know, what's happening with the T'Challa character, given Chadwick Boseman's, uh, you know, demise and, and how they're going to approach that. Um, are, are we going to go through some of the other things we saw there or just like the because I didn't go in it, through any of those like scene by scenes, but we see more of uh, Atlantis and Namor. We see uh, a pretty good hint of who we think, you know, spoilers, 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 new Black Panther. Uh, the new person taking mm-hmm. on the mantle. We see what I presume to be the Ironheart uh, crossover yep. or, or introduction. Yeah. Yeah. These are, these are, these are cool things and it's, it's setting up some nice stuff. Do you feel like, so, so I, I agree with you, Jaime. I think those are two of the biggest sort of takeaways from this trailer. We, we do get a, a first look at uh, the, the Ironheart in the armor. Uh, and then we do get our first look at what seems to be the new Black Panther and it's pretty clear when you look at it what you're looking at. So if you wanted to be surprised with how that plays out, this trailer would effectively end that. You know, obviously there's still the possibility of who is that under the costume, although I think that is pretty um, clear too, based on a couple of different factors. But do you feel like you would have liked to have come into it with even less knowledge where that was sort of the in dispute, or do you feel like that was a foregone conclusion anyways? Hmm. I feel like I kind of guessed who would probably take over the, the mantle of black Panther. Like if, like if you just asked me prior to realizing, uh, Chadwick Boseman would, would die. and say, okay, uh, the character's got to be gone. He had, you know, something bad happened. What, who, who takes over is the next one. Right. Um, I probably would have guessed who it appears to be. And you never know with these kind of trailers, maybe they're really pulling one, you know, fast one over on us. And I'm even assuming too much here. Um, so I maybe am too deep into the like, yeah, if you're like the marketers, you're like, bro, we got to show Black Panther. <laughs> we can't have this Wakanda for everything that like does not have a Black Panther. So uh, did they have to show us as much as they did? Uh, that's a different argument. But uh, I, I think they, Kind of had no choice but to show us that, like, yes, this movie will in fact have a uh, a Black Panther. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, interesting. What about what about uh, Rocket Boot Boy? Girl, I think of that character. Is it Rocket Boot Girl? Girl. Mm-hmm. That's that's uh, that's Riri Williams. That's Ironheart. She's uh, mm. a character that has okay. become quite popular in the comics that they're introducing to the MCU here. Yeah, I mean, good person, bad person. What's the deal? No, with she's that she's person? she's on the side of light. She is uh, she's somebody who, in the comic books, was sort of uh, well. I'm, this is not a spoiler, but Tony Stark is not dead in the comic books because comic book characters never die for very long. And uh, right, so she is somebody who sort of hero worshipped him and then developed her own sort of pseudo armor and you know sort of takes up the mantle as it were. And I think that's how they're kind of using her here is this, she's sort of the next generation of iron person. 
but did did, did was that person wearing like or like Tony Stark type armor? Because I didn't really get that impression. I just saw they had fire like rocket boots. Yeah, no, there's a full set of armor, and it is in fact gold and and uh, red. So you can certainly look at it and say it. Uh, you know, it's very derivative, but she's kind of meant to be as as smart in her own way as Tony is. And it's not like she steals his old armor and does anything with that. She she doesn't steal his armor. She actually just uh, creates her own. So how that story will play out, how they'll put some wrinkles on it in the in the MCU, who knows? But yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what else uh, they sort of pull from the from the comics for that. And then, yeah, I mean, again, I guess we'll get into, you know, speculation corner here a little bit, but the Black Panther that we see quite visibly on the screen is is clearly female. And in conjunction with the movie poster that came out this week that conspicuously has Letitia Wright as the center most prominent character, I think a lot of people are putting two and two together and getting four. But as Jaime points out, you know, these things can be red herringy sometimes. They, you know, they'll set you up that, oh, it's actually, it's going to be this person. But, oh, what a twist. It's this person. You know, they can always do that kind of stuff. To me, that kind of makes the most sense. She was very likable in the first movie and in the Avengers movies. Um, whether or not, you know, she has the, the gravitas to, to carry a whole franchise going forward, I, I'm not sure. But, but I, I think we're going to find out. Yeah, I'd be interested to see where they go with the Ironheart character, just to, to follow up a little bit on that, because from what we see here, the Ironheart suit is, you know, no no knock on it, but it's not the the nanobots, it just comes out of my chest sort of cool thing that Tony Stark had from Mark, you know, bazillion that he had by that point. It's closer to like a Mark I or like a um, Obadiah Stane's armor from the original Iron Man movie which kind of feels like a, a a nice thing to show that like what you what you might be able to build from watching YouTube videos of like I think I figured out how Iron Man's armor works kind of thing that people would do in in real world and then um you know future iterations if uh she gets friendly with the Wakandans who have a lot of high tech technology to to carry on and and refine that armor for uh like the TV show yeah i, I believe ironheart was slated to be a disney plus series so I think that the idea is that she she will get a grand entrance here, and then that story for her will pick up next year or the year after on Disney Plus. So I think there's there's already big plans for her, and in a especially in a MCU that has been red flagged by a number of people for being a little too Caucasian and a little too male. I think uh, they they need every chance they can to start introducing more characters of color and more women. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you more or less or the same amount of hyped for this, having seen this? I mean, like I said, the first trailer was beautiful. It was really, really the music, the way that the, the cuts were done. It was, it was a really good trailer. One of the nicest I think I've ever seen. It's just a matter of from there, this one is a little more, yeah, plot forward, a little more, a little more, you know, uh, in the weeds for the, the story as opposed to the last one, as opposed to the last one, so... Yeah, I'm I'm still hyped for this movie. Um, I can't believe we made it all this way without talking about Namor's comic accurate little wings, his little foot wings. Oh, I know, I know. Um, That's who I was talking about. Oh, is that what you meant? I'm sorry, I didn't. The flying sort of person thing that just sort of went went is that sort of thing. Oh, I, I got you. I got that. That went past me because 
<laughs> so you meant without the the use of rocket boots and stuff because that's where I got kind of yeah, lost. Like I thought you were talking about they didn't have any clothes. They didn't have any costume per se, but they had like little powered boots of some type, right? Uh, no, that's actually so. Namor is a mutant in the vein of the X Men, and his mutation is that he uh, has this ability that that others of his kind do not have, and that includes those little weird wings on his heels that help him fly. Hmm. Okay. And I did see an interview with uh, with someone affiliated with the movie, and they have said confirmed that he is in fact a mutant. That that he is. As as they've already dropped the 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 idea of that on the Ms. Marvel show that she is also a mutant, they've uh, yeah apparently confirmed that he will be a mutant character. Yeah, I thought when you said rocket boots, you were talking about uh, Ironheart because she does have sort of rocket boots, but then the whole suit of armor and everything. Mm-hmm. No, it's the, the flying person kind of zipping through the through the trailer. Yeah. One point. I'll be curious to see, to hear somebody actually say, and I don't think I've heard it yet. Namor, Namor, no more, Nemo, Mamor. One of those ones <laughs> that I've been reading for forty years, but don't think I've ever heard someone say out loud who actually is authorized to say that. Mm. Should have asked Stan. I talked to Stan. I should have asked him. So what's what's happening in the Spawn world? Yeah. So we had talked about the fact that there was going to be a Spawn movie again. I think in an episode way back. Uh, Todd McFarlane has been talking about wanting to bring the character back into uh, into live action, and there was talk for a while there that he was gonna he was gonna write the script and he was gonna direct it, and you know it might be a little sort of you know Blumhouse was involved. It was gonna be a little sort of you know edgy Blumhousey type type of um, you know smaller budget picture, a little horror-y. and that kind of went out the window this week. So we got news that. Um, Scott Silver, Malcolm Spellman, and Matt Mixon are all going to collaborate on writing a new script for the film. And, you know, those may not be names that you know, but when I tell you what they've worked on, you'll say, oh. So Scott Silver wrote Academy Award winning The Joker. Uh, Malcolm Spellman wrote Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And Matt Mixon, uh, sorry, I lost Matt Mixon's CV here. Um, yeah, he did a very popular music doc a few years ago called Yesterday Was Everything that everyone was kind of gushing over. And so all of them are going to start sort of collaborating on this, which prompted McFarland to put out this week. He sort of said, uh, I've now got three world-class scriptwriters working on the script for this. I don't know if I'm the right person to direct this anymore. We might have to go looking for an A-list director to do this. And Jamie Foxx is still attached to it as the potential star to play, uh, to play Spawn. So this has gone from like, you know, a little sort of could be interesting, horror-y kind of thing for Blumhouse to this could be a potentially bigger budget, bigger attention, high profile kind of uh, comic mo- movie, which is interesting. Hmm. Well, we already had two Spawn movies, right? I think there was one theatrical movie, and then there was an amazing, amazing HBO series, cartoon series. You yeah, and that's I saw kind of what comes to my mind. Yeah, you and I saw Spawn in the theater, as I recall, Tim, and uh, at the old. Um, uh, oh gosh, what was that one at Young Hill. Street? Oh, the the one at Young and Bloor. Uh, up uh, uptown, uptown, the, up, the, up, the uptown, the one that used to be down in the basement with the huge sound. I remember seeing it there with you. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, Young and Blur, you said? Yeah, Uptown. 
Yeah. It's gone now. It's a condo or something like that now, right? Everything's a condo in Toronto now. But yeah, it's, um, it, you know, it had a moment, you know, it's not a movie that's held up particularly well. It was kind of a tweener. It was, Mm -hmm. you know, it kind of was a little too early on the CGI. It had some CGI. It was not the greatest CGI. It just kind of missed by a few years being something even more memorable, I think. But now that mm-hmm. they can do more, and because there's kind of this culture that's embraced this kind of story, I think it could be really good. Hmm. Yeah, if anything's calling out for like a special edition, it is the CGI from the Spawn movie. Because, you know, it's got some, some stuff that does hold up pretty well, but there is some CGI, like Malbosia in particular, who like didn't really hold up at that time in the 90s and is way rougher here in 2022. So. Think somebody take another crack at it with modern filmmaking techniques is uh, cinematography, etc. Is is a, a pretty interesting one. Hope this gets off the ground. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, I I was okay with the movie at the time. It, you're right, it was a little limited, but I loved the adaptation they did for HBO. That is was such a dark and weird and just odd series, and went to some of the places that the comic does, which is to say it was, yeah, like really quite dark at times, you know, violent and, and just dark sense of humor. And yeah, it was interesting to see uh, them ad- adapt that quite faithfully from the comic. I wonder what they've got in mind for this. And I guess we'll find out. I guess we will. And the last thing I've got this week was one that uh, it made me smile. So there has been speculation for a very, 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 very long time that... A uh, member of the Scooby-Doo gang has been queer, and it's never been confirmed because it's a kid's cartoon, and, you know, in a lot of cases, they just aren't overt about those kind of things. They want to sort of, you know, let people draw their own conclusions, but we found out this week that in the new Halloween special called Trick or Treat Scooby-Doo, there is going to be confirmation that Velma is actually a queer character. She meets a uh, character on it and apparently has all the stereotypical, you know, cartoon, you know, the, the, you know, she looks into her eyes and her glasses fog up and her cheeks turn red and she clearly is, uh, is infatuated. And yeah, I mean, this is really kind of cool to get this as canon that this character is, in fact, queer, uh, you know, not, it, you know, not that these things need to be a big deal, but it, it. I know every little bit helps. Everything helps people feel seen. Everything makes people feel accepted and feel like they are are connected to culture. And so here we are, and we have a, uh, finally a confirmation of queer Velma. What do you guys think? Yeah, I'm a little disconnected from the 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 current continuity of stuff, but I'll say that um, you know it's interesting to see some of these uh, icons that have been around. For so long that, you know, you you look back and you're like, yeah, I think they were kind of hinting at that stuff uh, in that era where it would have been harder to do, where you would have had uh, slang like, uh, you know, are you a friend of Dorothy, which is, uh, I think, for gay men. uh, But I I hope I'm not wrong in saying that that was like a LGBTQ sort of thing where it was like being able to figure out like, I'm not really sure. Are you are you a friend of Dorothy? Like, are we cool or is this going to cause a a ruckus to to reveal my orientation so having it be more um explicit here seems like a a good positive change 
Yeah, and I think I think any time you can see queer characters interacting in a completely normalized way, as it is and should be, you know, all over the place, I think it just gets us that much closer to it not being different to it being just part of everyone's lives and i think that's a that's a positive thing no matter how you look at it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh i guess maybe spoilers for andor but there's a bit of that in uh this week's episode isn't there yep. like I, I may not yep. have caught it properly but I, I think that was stated there so yep it's it's not even like i don't think i saw any news media about that so it's becoming more of a uh, uh just a ho-hum like yep that's normal part of life it's not a big deal like uh, Ellen or Ricky Martin or anybody else you might think of from not really that long ago. Yeah, no, true. And uh, a follow-up story. Unfortunately, Velma is going to get fridged in the next episode of the uh, Scooby-Doo Mysteries uh, because, you know, uh, kill your kill your gaze is, is such a horrible trend in <laughs> television. Ouch. <laughs> no, no, no. I kid, I kid. But, oh, man. If that was... Yeah, scary. We'll talk about that when we come around to Game of Thrones conversation this week, the House of the Dragon stuff, because it was, it, was, it was right there for a second. All righty. Are we there yet? Yeah, okay. So we're at the part of the show where we start talking about uh, Star Trek and other sci-fi things that we're following this current iteration. And so right now we're doing Lower Decks, and the episode tonight was a mathematically perfect redemption. And uh, yeah, I... Pretty much fell asleep during this episode. What? I didn't really, but yeah. I don't know. I just, it was like, it was meh. It was like Birdman meets Toaster. No, Tim, that that, that is not the elevator pitch, right? So my, I changed my mind a few times. <laughs> my my elevator pitch uh, kind of boiled down to a very poorly written out peanut hamper as their con on City Alpha 5 experience, but also Avatar, right? So <laughs> that's uh, good. I that, like that. That sounds like it's a little bit more jazzed, a little bit more jazzed up than than how, uh, how you're describing it. But uh, you know, not everything's for everybody. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was all right. I mean, it was it was a, it was a sort of a I don't know what what do you call it a uh, an edge piece, I guess, right? So yeah, yeah. It's it's funny. I did see uh, as I was looking for a little bit of um, background information after I watched the show. I did see some feedback on a couple of boards where people were, some people were like, oh, no, that was really funny. And some people were vehemently the other way. They're like, I didn't see my main characters. I don't care about this. I think this is the worst episode of the season. And I was surprised that people have such strong feelings. I mean, obviously, we're invested with the the main four characters and, and some of the good side characters that are on the Cerritos. But I thought this was funny. Like, I mean, it, you're right, Jaime. Like, it was kind of, it was kind of deliberately derivative of of so many sci-fi tropes which is what slower decks does but it also you know it takes those as it constantly does and it turns those things on its side and laughs at them and and there was a lot of funny moments in this episode i mean they and they went places that i was like oh they're not gonna go there and like you know at one point that that toaster has sex with that bird man that's true that is true i mean it it had that sort of um you know, uh, V'ger kind of vibe too, like, you know, being left behind. And I mean, it could have gone several different directions with this, this episode, right. In terms of this, um, sentient, um, what do you call it? Android, I guess. Right. Well, she's an exocomp. Yeah. Yeah, Exocomp, whatever that is. Right. (laughs) Is that, is that a TNG thing or something or? Yeah. Okay. All right. 
Why is it called Peanut Hamper? Just that's just her name. She got to pick her own name. Oh, okay. And she chose that name. Yeah, I I don't even remember her from what was it season? What are we? What season are we in? Season one or two of this show? This is season that we're in right now, or did she first appeared? No, that that Lower Decks is in season three, right? This is season three, episode seven. We're talking about tonight, and yeah, she but appeared I, what I'm saying, like last episode of season one, because that's the okay. one where Shax yeah. quote unquote dies. And the reason he has to die is because she bails. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I, to be honest, yeah, I, I vaguely remember the character, but I don't remember her abandoning them or saying, that's no way I'm going to do that kind of thing. But yeah, that's kind of where it starts off. It's her perspective of that episode, right? So, yeah. So what was your best pew pew? I, I mean, what was the best bit of action? Clearly, it was Peanut Hamper and Rada. Oh, the action. The action, yes. That's <laughs> <what you're> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but okay. um, it was the action on the, uh, the waterfall. I, I wrote down the, the areolas fighting. Predominance, yeah, or the pronunciation of areola. Like, <laughs> yeah, somebody, somebody trips over that word a couple of times. Yes, I think that was again a deliberate uh, choice, but yeah, that was, that was good. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Easter eggs, I thought it was very funny. The um, uh, JG Hersler came back, uh, of course. We, I think he was in a previous episode of uh, as a voice on this playing his former Klingon character. And now he's come back and he was the voice of the captain of the Drukmani scavengers. So another familiar voice back. And then at the end right. of the episode, we got the return of Jeffrey Combs, who, of course, we all loved on Deep Space Nine. He came back this time as um, uh, Agamus again, who he played in season two, episode seven. Yeah, and it's funny because I remember I was waiting for them to fade back, you know, how they, they pull back the camera, showing all these sentient, you know, bad computers that are stored oh, in this Oh, you mean the self-aware somewhere. megalomaniacal computer storage room? Yes, that's the one. And and But when they backed up last time, I, I vaguely remember, uh, I took a, actually, if you look at our show art from that, from that, show, that episode, um, that's, that's what the shot I used was. It was all the robots. I think one of them was HAL 9000 and a few other sort of well-known, you know, problematic computers over the years right speaking of easter eggs right oh yeah no that that room and it was filled with all the ones from classic trek episodes because it's again well-worn trope yeah it had uh yeah it had uh nomad and um there was one another one from um there's a couple from the original series that, that kind of went bad yep so that led me to my big my big question of the week was now that peanut hamper and agamus are stored next to each other and multi-episode sort you know they they can't have cast jeffrey combs and then brought him back and then not plan to go somewhere that do you think we'll see these two team up in some sort of weird future episode? Yeah, possibly. You mean yeah. when, the, when they escape from the uh, megalomaniacal self-sentient... No, self-aware megalomaniacal room? computer storage room. Right. Yes. <laughs> so, how do you, so what, is that, what, what are the letters for that? Uh, S-A-M-C-S. Yeah, I, I do believe that they're going to continue this plot thread uh not necessarily in this season as we've seen like they they went back to a one-shot one-off character of peanut hamper and made them uh, arguably a lot more well-rounded in this one uh at least until they pulled the rug out from underneath us and um there were some uh some easter eggs and and a quote that i'd like to put in here so the easter egg hunt they mentioned uh free cloud which mm. was i can't remember if that was picard or discovery i'm Started blurring in my mind which one had the casino one. Um, uh, Picard. Who's Picard? Okay, so that's well, they, where they, Seven. Yeah, they both had casinos, but I think that was the one on Picard. Yeah. 
That's where um, they met up with seven, or seven of nine yep. went or something or. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my quote was in relation to uh, profanity from peanut hamper. When she first meets the like village elder, he's like, Oh yes. Fudge, indeed. <laughs> Doesn't yeah. understand the, the exclamation. <laughs> he just says it's so deadpan. Uh, that was. She said, he says, what was that? And she says, oh, that's just something we say. And then, then he said, yes, fudge, indeed. <laughs> yeah, I, I had flagged a couple of quotes. That they, there was lots of good ones in this episode. But uh, yeah, everything on the planet seems to fly. There's flying pigs and flying sheep and flying. <laughs> At one point, they see a flying snake. And Peanut Hamper says, if everything flies here, why call it a sky snake? Isn't it just a snake? Yeah, exactly. And there were yeah. some turtles later on, too, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I also liked, oh, how I've longed for the touch of your nozzle. That's what Rada says right. when they they start to uh, mm. get intimate. Yeah, with the weird bird screech. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At some I'm gonna point, I'm going to song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, again, I, I think this was, you know, certainly a digression for the show. It was, as some people have described it online, a big swing. They were kind of trying something. I don't think all of it worked, but I think that there was certainly enough there to to continue to laugh at. In typical Lower Decks fashion, there was lots of little Star Trek jokes in there, and I think it holds up okay. Yeah. Yeah, and, and sort of the twisty ending where, you know, she she gets her redemption, but then she's also the person that set up the redemption, right? Yeah. Before being put into the self-aware megalomaniacal computer storage room. Yeah. All right. So we move on to She-Hulk. Yeah. Before we do, it was oh. kind of amusing to me how um, she was ranting about calling the Borg and you're all going to be Borg. And they kept <laughs> having to like push down her little transmitter antenna, like, just like more physically restraining her from making the transmission. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. All right. So She-Hulk, She-Hulk ribbit and rip it. Hmm. So I, I got I to gotta do my elevator pitch on this one, which is uh, the penultimate episode of season one brings an unlikely but inevitable team up and a lot of Hulk smash and smashing. And smashing, yes. Yeah, I, uh, I had written down uh, uh, She-Hulk gets down and dirty with Daredevil. You know, mm-hmm. It's almost yeah, like a t-shirt much, at that, that point. That pretty much covers it, yeah. So this was, uh, again, this show's always funny and it's always weird and goofy. This one was kind of a soft relaunch or a, a, um, what do they call it, a a backdoor pilot for the the Daredevil show that we know we're getting. We already know we're getting it. So it's, Mm -hmm. we'd already seen Matt Murdock actually in the MCU. We saw Matt in Spider-Man No Way Home and... Here we actually get to see him both as the lawyer and then we get to see him as Daredevil. And of course, this iteration of Daredevil, he is wearing the uh, gold and and red suit. That is what he wore for the first six issues of his original series. Oh, really? And, um, you know, we'll circle back around. But my big question for this episode was, oh, my God, are we going to have to look at that thing for the entirety of the Born Again series? Because, oh. It's rough. Which one is this? What are you talking about? The suit? Yeah. Okay. Um, mm. and, and that ties into my quote, which was, uh, uh, Matt, Matt as Daredevil says, I'm Daredevil. And Jen says, well, it is very daring to use ketchup and mustard as your colored scheme. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> which I was like, yes, I feel seen, Jen. Thank you for that. Yes, 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 yes. It was an awful look in 1963. It's... An awful look in 2022. 
Uh, I get True. what they're going for. They're to going back to basics and they're honoring the legacy and yada yada, but it looks stupid. Yeah. There was a lot of good for, fourth wall stuff today with, with her talking to the audience about, you know, um, how she's feeling about, you know, being in the same room with Daredevil and Matt Murdock and all that stuff, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Tatiana Maslany is charming and very likable and she's having a good time with it. And I think that's fine. And I know that this series is getting, uh, you know, rating bombed on. Rotten Tomatoes and everything else by... Is it? Oh, yeah. yeah. I think it's like 80% from the critics and like 36% from the fans. But it's not 36% from the fans. It's getting bombed. But you know what? The, the thing about is the thing about a show like this is, is... I mean, I generally get the vibe that it's targeting a more female audience than male. I mean, that's okay, yep. in my opinion. Right? Yep. Um, and why not, right? Um, I think I think that that generally paints a target on anything. Whenever you have something oh, that, that's totally that's meant to be, oh, it's a boys' show, but you know it's got girl themes in it, right? And feels, you know, God forbid we have feels in the middle of a show like this, right? Yeah. Well, and again, even if even if the feels are like, hey, let's you know skip the dinner kind of feels, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And we've gotten in the last couple episodes, we had her having you know starting a dating quasi relationship with a guy where she goes on multiple dates and eventually they sleep together and she's disappointed and frustrated that he's not calling. And so we get that sort of trope of, you know, women want a relationship. Why isn't it working out for her? Yada, yada. We get the episode where she as Jen goes on the dating profile and doesn't have any luck and then goes on a She-Hulk and ends up meeting this guy and sleeps with him. And now in this episode, she ends up, uh, you know, sleeping with Matt and you know, making some pretty, you know, eye contacty comments about it afterwards, saying like, it was a pleasure to meet you, you know, a real pleasure. Uh, you know, she's a sexually empowered, strong, independent person. And yeah, she's got a lot of layers to her, but like, they're not just pigeonholing her as, you know, the, the sort of... And yet, at the end of the show, what do they do with her in when she's in the... They start playing... The, the guys who are doxing her or whatever start playing the you know the sex tape of her right like is yeah. that the only way we can you know take power away from women well, is by exploiting them but that's it right that's the whole thing is is we've established her as a strong sexually empowered person who you know a threat and, therefore yeah yeah and and then of course the way for these men to ruin her is to slut shame her and to make her feel lesser than because she feels that way which is exactly what men do on the internet. So again, true. it's all That's pretty true. front and center, and I, and I don't think it's done badly at all. But then we also kind of get that, you know, when she's when she's standing there in front of this big screen and she's seeing that they've clearly recorded her and, and are showing that, she, of course, turns into the hysterical woman trope where she smashes the screen and she's out of control. Yeah. And yeah. so it's, you know, like, again, I don't think they're doing these things unaware. I think they're, this is Disney and it's, you know, a bunch of good writers. And I don't think they're going into it lightly, but it's, it's interesting to see the, the kind of rope that they're walking with this character. And again, I get that it's not for everybody, but I like it. I think this is smart and funny and fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. From that perspective, it is it is true that you know she's not judged on her ability as a lawyer. She's dressed and she's judged constantly on the show by the clothes she wears. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you know. Well, and look earlier in the just... episode when she has that uh, you know meeting with the client who says he has to you know meet up with her ostensibly to talk about this you know 
Wakandan spear that they're trying to get back off him, but essentially it's because he thinks he can get her into bed. And she's like, um, no, I'm, you know, a strong person and I decide who I sleep with and when I sleep with them and I have no interest in sleeping with you. Yeah. And do you think he's the guy behind the, the whole deal? I don't know. I mean, I think they're setting... Uh, to me, I, I got him more as the, you know, the buffoon, not the the villain. Again, we talked about the intelligentsia in previous episodes, the, clearly that they're the ones who have made up the website, that are slagging her and death threats and everything yeah. else. Uh, again, shocker that, you know, speaking of, you know, bang on tropes, you know, a, a powerful, good looking woman comes along and, you know, how do they make her lesser than while they... You know, they call her names, they make her feel, you know, bad, they threaten her, they, you know, sexual, hypersexualize her and everything else. But yeah. I, I'll be curious next week, hopefully we'll, we'll get a little bit more of this coming to a head. It is the, the final episode next week of who yeah. the intelligentsia Which she are. Even, what she even comments on in the fourth wall, right? Yeah. 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 Am I about to get fridged? Is this the, the twist before, yeah. is this the final episode coming up? Like, oh, that, that sort of stuff that they, they play fast and loose with. Yeah. 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 Speaking speaking of, so you, you mentioned an Easter egg there with the Wakanda spear. I I had Mac Murdock down as a, as an Easter egg too, but and you you saw that one coming, obviously. Oh yeah. Um, Frogger, the Frogger game in the in the yeah. the uh, lily pad lair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good the one. The Walk of Shame, of course, and this time it was the man doing the Walk of Shame. And again, you know? a beautiful juxtaposition of the standard, right? You know, oh, it's not yeah. it's not Jen doing the Walk of Shame. It's Matt doing the Walk of Shame, and it's not a Walk of Shame. Yeah. He's got a big smile on her face, and she's got a big smile on her face. Like again. Yeah. Two people who find each other attractive can do whatever the heck they want behind closed doors. It's their lives, right? Right. And then the, the Ginger Rogers comment, you know, that Ginger Rogers did everything that Fred Astaire did, you know, everything that he did, except backwards and in high heels. Yeah. Yep. Good point. Really good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, her saying. I feel like that fits into, so my, my best pew 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 leads into where I think they, they kind of went, um, you know, not only through this whole season, but through this episode in particular. So my best pew 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 was the She-Hulk versus Daredevil fight on the parking garage uh, area. Mm -hmm. Like, thought that was pretty cool. It is, like, he holds his own, but, like, it is pretty clear that She-Hulk, here in this fight, uh, in the warehouse fight, that they had, or the, the hangout hideout fight later on, and throughout most of this series, she mostly outclasses everybody, right? Like, mm -hmm. um... Uh, and and having her like get hit by a baseball bat and she's like, are, are you serious? Did you think that was going to work? <laughs> um, yeah. And, and they're setting in my mind, this juxtaposition of like, no matter how powerful she is, she Hulk cannot punch misogyny. She can't punch revenge porn away, mm. even though she like literally mm. tries to in, in, in a very obvious way here. And it's, it's one of those things where she keeps getting brought down for things that have nothing to do with, uh, getting punched in the face by somebody more powerful, right? So that's where I, um, I thought that was pretty interesting to bring that together in this, uh, in this episode. Yeah, the other thing too that uh, was interesting was that you know she she throws a car at Matt Murdock or at Daredevil to stop him, right? And of course, trashes this you know expensive car. And as they're about to leave the scene, he says to her, "Well, you trashed this place," and she says, "Oh yeah, I better leave a note." Yeah, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and it's uh, for for comic book readers. There's a little extra Easter egg in there too. There was a very famous uh, issue of Daredevil where Daredevil, who is ostensibly one of the least powered, super powered people, takes on the Savage Incredible Hulk. Hulk ends up in New York City. 
Daredevil ends up having to fight the Hulk in New York City because no one else is available and barely escapes alive because it's right. the freaking Hulk. Like, come on. And there was a little bit of an echo in there of, of this. And um, yeah, again, not it wasn't overt, but there was a little something there if you were a longtime uh, Daredevil comic book fan as well. I really liked the um, other couple of Easter eggs that I caught. They they mentioned that the Sokovia Accords have been repealed. I think that's the first time that we actually got confirmation that because uh, it seems like superheroes have kind of been acting with more impunity post snap. And I, I guess that helps clarify that that was why they don't have to declare themselves to the government. They don't have to do oh, all the right, things that they right. would have had to do under the Sokovia Accords. And in that last scene in her apartment, Jen says, you know, is this a twist where, you know, yeah, do I get fridged or, you know, is there a third Hulk and he's red? Well, the red Hulk is in fact a character from the comic books and it's entirely possible we'll be seeing the red Hulk in Thunderbolts. So, so that was a nice, again, that was a genuine Easter egg for we could be seeing that sooner than later. My, my one quote in a, I don't know if this counts as a quote. It's more of an explanation that I thought was nice. So the quote I liked was um, Jen Walters talking to... Oh, crap. I can't remember if she was talking to Daredevil or she was talking to Matt Murdock at that point in time. She's like, wait, are you not actually blind? Because that's very problematic as a... You know, like, wait a minute. Because these dude not actually blind. Yeah, yeah. And I also liked the explanation of the distinction, the fine distinction between goons and henchmen. Where henchmen, you know, <laughs> yeah, believe in the cause apparently, and goons are just mercenaries yeah. who just want the money. Yeah, yeah. All right, moving on to Andor. The episode was called "The Axe Forgets," and at one point, Skeen says, "The axe forgets, but the tree does not." Um, yeah, that's his. His whole quote was, "The axe forgets, but the tree remembers." Now it's our turn to do the chopping. Great quote, great delivery too. That guy's good. Who's got the elevator pitch? Uh, yeah, I, mean, I had a really simple one, which is just tensions run high on Aldani and Coruscant on the eve of the big rebel payhole, pay, payroll heist. So this was basically, it was table setting, and, and we get these kind of episodes from time to time, especially in series that have shorter episodes where it really is about just sort of getting everything set because you know you're going to have a huge set piece action piece in the next episode. But this was done really well. Like, you felt... On all fronts, you felt it on on the scenes with Mon Mothma. You felt it on the scenes with Luthen. You felt it on the scenes scenes with the characters on Aldani, the 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 seven rebels, including Cass. And yeah, this this it was a a funny episode because in a lot of cases this would have been you know people would have labeled this as the worst episode because it really wasn't high on action, but they did a really good job of pacing and just cutting the film that was edited really well to really heighten the tension as you're going into it. So by the time you ended, uh, ended the episode, like I was just like, I, I really want to see how this starts mm-hmm. to play out now because you, you get a little bit more about the characters. You start to invest, you know, I, I, we're going to talk about it when we get into our house of the dragon uh, recap as well. But I saw a little parallel between these two things, having just watched them within a few days of each other. Some of my criticisms of House of the Dragon are about the fact that we're kind of blowing through time periods, which is good in one way, but it's poor in another. You don't have enough time to bond with the characters and really feel invested. So when something bad happens to one of them, you're like, eh, here, 
they take the time to really set up, like you actually start caring about Vel and Skeen and Nemec and Sinta and even Terramin and Gorn. And, you know, you're caring about what's happening to Mon Mothma. You care about what's happening to Luthen. And of course, Cass is our star, so we're, we're, we're caring about him the most. But they really give you a lot of things to invest you in the characters so that next week when it starts going sideways, and you know most of these people aren't going to make it out alive. It'll be really interesting to see, uh, to feel that, that difference, feel that resonance when it happens. Yeah, for sure. There's a, there's a slow burn on this one, but I do think it was important to have this episode um, as the, we learn about the whole gang and who they are from the prep work that's going into, you know, the, the big showdown, the big heists they're going to do. Um, so that's part of my, my elevator pitch and the B line, uh, the B plot is, uh, you know, called the, uh, Call nine one one because there's some sick burns from <laughs> Space Mom. Uh, just you know, oh yeah, just wow. tearing it. Yeah. What's his name? Is it Karn? Is that his name? I forgot. Is I keep yes. calling him Cyril, Cyril Karn. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, these Cyril, sick Cyril burns. Karn, that, that's what they call. Him. Yeah, something only a only a mother uh, a parent could do. Yeah, she's. <laughs> yeah, I mean that ties into the. Into the Easter egg I had where, of course, she, you know, he pours a bowl of cereal and she pours the blue milk over the top of it and then just, mm -hmm. just rips him a new one. And then we cut back, do a bunch of other scenes, come back. He's sitting in the same spot with the same 30-mile stare and his mom is still ripping into him. Oh, man, hard to believe he went to a faraway planet. I think that was another day. Like, oh, you know, I'm sure it was, it was but man, yeah. like, I think that's the whole point is he's just like, every day is the same for him now where he just sits there and gets berated by his mother. So Easter, well, have we talked about the TIE Fighter, TIE Fighters buzzing? No, I mean, that was that was what I had flagged as the best pew pew pew, is that's the scene where they think that they, that the TIE Fighter has avoided them, and then it loops back around and just buzzes them. It's funny because, you know, you realize how big and how small Star Wars can be in those moments. So when we see the original Star Wars movie... You know, TIE Fighters are a bit more of a concern. We have to fight them in a couple of different spots, and they're more formidable. As the series goes on, and especially as we get into the, you know, uh, other series, they really are not that formidable as a thing. But when you are, like, standing on the ground and have no shelter, you can see that these things are genuinely terrifying. And yeah, they have an amazing sound. Like the sound oh, is yeah. terrifying, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, especially on on the big woofers and stuff. Right? Yeah, but you, it's funny because for the longest time now, I've never really thought like I, I I had sort of moved them to a lower tier of imperial weaponry, where I was like, I don't know, I was scared of that thing. But here, one small solo Tie Fighter is the most terrifying thing that they could have encountered, and that was really interesting to me because it made me think about how. Yeah, just how small this story is, but how intimate it is that one TIE fighter is, is as bad for them as, as Luke and, and Han seeing a Star Destroyer or the Death Star. Because it's the difference between life and death in this case, right? Like a TIE fighter could kill every single one of them really easily. Yeah, or turn, or turn them in as well, because it could be like, that's why they have to run and cover the guns. It also buzzes the, like, the, I kind of call it the dam, you know, the, the part where the... Uh... The commanders, because it, it, they also does do buzz that, and it's kind of like as as the you know the commander of the whole place is walking by, and I'm like, you don't think he's gonna have a word with that uh, pilot when he gets back to when he lands? Right? I'd have paid a million dollars to hear him yell, Maverick. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it's like buzzing the tower. It's exactly. buzzing the tower. That's right. Yeah, not like that doesn't happen in the new movie too. 
The other thing that I have flagged for an Easter egg, and this is a bit of a deeper cut. So when, um, oh, what's her name? Miro? Miro, the, uh, the Imperial officer who's trying to sort of piece together inside the security branch. She's trying to piece together the, the pieces that seem to be disparate but are connected. She's talking about all these different things. And one of the things she mentions is she mentions, obviously, you know, where Cass was and where that happened. But she mentions Kessel. And Kessel is the scene of the first three episodes of Star Wars Rebels. And so when she's talking about these seemingly disparate things that are, that are somewhat interconnected, that to her spell a pattern that means the Rebels are starting to put it together. And she says, you know, if I was going to start a rebellion, this is how I'd do it. Um, the fact that she references Kessel is, is interesting on two fronts. One, it, it, it centers us on timeline-wise. We know that what Cass is going through right now overlaps more or less with the beginning of Star Wars Rebels, which is kind of cool, because you can then orient yourself to, okay, I know what else is happening in the universe and the galaxy and stuff like that. But the fact that that was a big enough thing that, you know, it's made its way into this is really interesting too. And it also is going to tie forward into when we get into the Ahsoka series, because obviously that is sort of a spiritual sequel, if not literal sequel to Star Wars Rebels too. So, yeah, I like the fact that the, the, I guess the quote there was, it's so random, it can't be random. I yep. think he says. Mm -hmm. That was my quote that I picked up as well. Oh, it's sorry. like a really, <laughs> a really good one, right? Because yep. um, if you have somebody doing something as simple as like, I need you to sit here for 10 minutes and flip a coin and just mark down, you know, what came out heads, what came out tails. Um, if you don't have really weird, long, like weird to like human um, intuition of like, oh, it won't be like heads 10 times in a row. It's like, yes, actually it will. Uh, and it will be counterbalanced by just as many times where it's tails 10 times in a row because uh, having it be random of like one, two, four, one, seven, eight, like these sorts of things like that, that doesn't happen in the real world. The real world ends up with bizarre patterns that appear to our human brains to be like, oh, that's like a signal. It's like, no, that's just the way it works. And so their point there, like these are spread out so far, it can't be a, a, a rebellion. Uh, there's no connection. It's like, well, that's kind of the point, right? You would expect that, um, you know, there, there could be some subterfuge here because it's a little too random. Why aren't they concentrated a little bit more kind of thing? So I like that one. Yeah. Yep. And I almost broke down in tears because of one of the Easter eggs. Um, the gizmo that the young lad, he, I, I want to call him Mouse because he looks like Mouse from, from um, the Matrix, right? Yeah. Nemec. Um, Memek, yeah. He shows Andor uh, a technology and it's actually an SX-70 from like the early, late 70, early 80s. And those things are so valuable and the, the, the prop guys have taken it and modified it whatever but it so clearly to me was an sx70 camera i have one here that's that's got a slight crack in it it really breaks my heart every time i see it but um they were polaroid cameras that basically folded up flat and then opened up and it was like a really cool industrial design from from that period you know like it like had a alum brushed aluminum body and then leather patches glued onto it to give it a sort of you know uh really kind of cool you know I guess steampunk kind of feel, but really, really well designed. They're in, they're in the, like the Metropolitan Museum of Modern Art, right? Hmm. And here are these guys at the Industrial Light and Magic have taken them and painted it black and glued things to it. And yeah, made me cry to see that. Still a cool camera though. Yeah. Yeah. That's a cool Easter egg. I didn't notice that. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I have one. You, you've seen our oh, yeah. 70 We have one in the family. Yep. 
the, it's one of the family heirlooms. Dibs, Book dibs, dibs, dibs. <laughs> I, I keep thinking I got to start writing prices on the bottom of all my stuff because you, between you and me, you're the only one that would understand the value of these things like that I've got here. Right? Yeah, to be fair, your your partner there has said the same thing about uh, some of the patterns that are in her collection. She says, you know, like some of these things are worth a lot of money. Don't just sell them in bulk. I said, yeah, I have the same thing downstairs yeah. in my basement, so I, I feel you. Yeah, exactly. So last and, and not least for this uh, episode, um, without digressing into the Mon Mothma family um, drama session where her husband is a complete tool and her daughter doesn't seem much better, um, do you think that this is going to follow the pattern of Rogue One? Is this going to be a bloodbath next week or is this going to be a happily ever after? Everybody makes it out okay. Hurrah, hurrah. Hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um because even even the Imperials, I don't know, are they Imperials now? I don't know at this point. On this um, part, they, they are, yes. Yeah, they they don't know, like, they're not anticipating, they they comment on the fact that, you know, the last time there was like 50 people came to this big ceremony, you know, they could potentially be a lot, right? Um, I don't know if that means that they've beaten them back to, you know, to, to like almost out of existence or whatever, but. I think that there there might be a lot of people there for this this ceremony that's coming next week, right? And and who knows what special effects, you know, industrial light and magic is going to bring to the party here, right? And then this impossible escape plan, which I talked about last week, right? Um, that you know they're all and and it's funny, like they're all sort of you know nobody really knows, nobody has their finger on the whole thing, and the only one that seems to be totally confident about his or her capabilities seems to be Andor, right? Yeah. So, yeah, and and it's a kind of a it's kind of a, you know the 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 four men go down and and they're going to uh, present pretend to be imperial troopers and the two ladies have taken off in another direction with weaponry and kind of what are they the snipers are going to sit up high and you know like who knows like there's kind of a mystery in terms of what their role is and it it's funny how nothing like you know the trope in these kind of things is, you know, they have the little model and, you know, the guy comes in with the little stick and he points to all different things and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And, you know, they have them all repeat what their 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 phases are going to be because it's all going to be perfectly timed. None of that is happening in this story, right? It's like, we've got this model, this is what it looks like, and you're going to, you know, you're going to do this one thing and nobody's talking about what anybody else is doing kind of thing, right? So there's a real sort of sense of mystery and for the audience in terms of what is going to happen next week, like you said, right? So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I'm, I'm sure we're going to lose some people, but, um, and is this, how many episodes is this show? 12. 12. Okay. And we're, we're at what episode? This was five. So apparently five, the way okay. they're telling it is that this is a series of three episode arcs and told over 24 episodes over two seasons. So there's 12 episodes, the first season, and so basically, as we, we saw the first three episodes came all at once, that sort of tells the story of how Cass ends up basically meeting up with the rebels. This one is this is the bank heist. And then there'll be a new sort of storyline for the next three and then the three after that to wrap up season one. And then, yeah, four more arcs, four more arcs over the course of season two. Yeah, because there's got to be a redemption story for for uh, Deirdre, right? And uh Lieutenant Blevin, and as well as our our friend friend Boomler, Bumler, Boimler, what's his name? Uh, Karn. Uh, Karn, yes, <laughs> Cyril Karn. Yeah, they they each. I mean, each one of those they're they're uh, they're foils to Andor in a sense, right? And they're building towards something big each, right? So 
Yeah, I mean, to to me, it seems like it's just a matter of time before Miro connects with Karn, and Karn refines his purpose, which is Cass. Right? Is is he's he he'll figure out that he's kind of the glue of of this sort of storyline. Um, yeah, and also we know that somewhere down the line we're going to get a storyline where he uh, he encounters and and uh, adopts K two S O. Right? But I don't think that's coming till season two. Mm-hmm. Oh, is is um, Alan Tudyk in the show? Alan Tudyk said he's coming back, but I think he said not till season two. Oh, interesting. Because I think it's also going to get a little, not like wildly, but a little time jumpy. I think it's going to move forward a little bit so that we sort of see him as he leads towards Rogue One. Yeah, because he's mm-hmm. got he's got to gain prominence in in his role in the Rebel. I mean, the thing is, he hasn't like they all seem to have bought into the rebellion, but he hasn't, right? Yeah, and that's sort of what tells over he... for them, right? Is is they they all have real reasons for that, and he will never talk about it, and that's why they're all suspicious of him. The other thing that uh, we talked about earlier in the episode, we were talking about, um, uh, you know, the queer characters. So there's intimation in here that's not put on total front street, but at one point um, when they're sort of drinking and passing the bottle around, uh, so we already saw in the last episode, Cass is sort of checking out Cinta when she's repairing his arm and mm-hmm. you know there's he's clearly giving her a, little, like, a look up and down you you we know from the first couple episodes that he's uh a bit of a player he's he's he certainly seems like he's you know uh been involved with a lot of women and you can see him checking her out in the last episode in this episode he offers her a drink and you kind of get that vibe that he's still kind of checking out whether there's something there but then we also get the vibe that she and vel are together mm. yeah the like that bed is already warmed or something to that effect is uh yeah. like a quick one-off statement of like buddy don't bother kind of thing they're they're yeah. they're taken yeah and, and, yeah and i guess that's it's it's meant to be sort of a throwaway line if you're really not you know paying too much attention you'll uh you might miss it but yeah there's there's sort of this intimation of you know dude, give it up. It's not going to happen. She's already got someone and she's standing over there. Yeah. Which again is, right. is again, it's, we talked about it. It's, it's that very normalized queerness, right? It's not like they have to, you know, walk around and, you know, scream, we're here, we're queer, get used to it. This is just, you know, part of the dynamic, right? Mm-hmm. It's more of a, oh, yeah. dang, instead of a, what? Kind of, yeah, you know, exactly. That right. It might've been in like the nineties if this show was made then. So yeah. 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 Great point. Great point. Mm-hmm. I am definitely going to try to remember that in my Easter egg hunt, they mentioned, uh, I think it was the Imperial officer who talked about their randomness. Uh, They mentioned Hosnian Prime uh, Mm -hmm. briefly. You you caught on Kessel. uh, I picked up Hosnian Prime, which has its one movie appearance as a, as a bright shining beacon in um, the force awakens. (laughs) One of the planets, spoilers gets destroyed by the, um, what did they call Star the dude? Killer Star? Base. Star, Star Killer Base. Star Killer Base. Yes, thank you. Yeah, because yeah, he ran out of good titles. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Star Killer is anyway. That's a whole different thing. Star Killer. Well, Star Killer is the name of the original original Luke Skywalker yeah. name, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It needs a um, you know Comic Con like. Well, actually, it, it didn't really kill any stars. It seemed like really clear it was killing planets or possibly planetoids. Uh, really hard to tell from camera, but clearly the other one was a star kind of thing. Worst summary ever. <laughs> yeah. All right, cue the uh, Game of Thrones theme as we dun, move into dun, the House dun, of the Dragon. Dun, 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 dun. With the blood flowing in this one, right? Yeah. Um, 
Driftmark's name of the episode. Mm -hmm. And, uh... Yeah. The, the funeral of Princess Lena brings together all the royals, sparkling, sparking some dazzling conflict, ending with each side landing a dragon. Right. Those sound legit. I put, uh, yeah, you know, Damon, best uncle ever. <laughs> uh, and, and possibly the alternative title is The Twinkle in Your Eye. As a, as a nice fun <laughs> yeah. one. I think I Want You kind of sums it up, too. Um, yeah, this, uh, I, you know, HBO at me, if you want, I can write some descriptions for your episodes. I feel comfortable now. I feel like I'm getting my groove on the elevator pitches. Uh, yeah, this was a, this was a banger of an episode. It's funny cause it was, um, literally, yeah, it's it sort of started out as a bit of a slow burn. This really awful scene where everybody's together. And of course they're, they're, you know, sending, uh, Raina, princess, uh, princess Lena to her watery grave after she uh committed suicide by dragon in the last episode uh because she is encountering uh an awful childbirth and um yeah and it just sort of goes off the rails all over the place it's it's like every worst family wake mixed with every worst family wedding mixed with uh somebody you know bother somebody else's pet and no it just goes sideways so we get the funeral and then we get, uh, you know, everybody's kind of, um, you know, staring daggers at each other at the wake and, and sort of, you know, nobody's sure who to talk to each other. And, and, uh, and you know, uh, Prince Lenor is, you know, standing in the ocean trying to decide whether or not to drown himself because he's lost his sister. And uh, yeah, and then... It just starts to go from there where, you know, we, you know, we, we get another amazing scene between Viserys and Damon, where Viserys the king has to get up from his spot and hobble over, one arm down and a lot of wear, worse for wear, hobble over to his brother and like try and make nice with him again. At which point, Damon dunks on him again, and mm -hmm. you know it's just uh, it's kind of painful to watch. Um, as all this is sort of happening, uh, you know, there's all this this sort of drama, and everybody's kind of being snotty to each other we move on to the scene with uh with Aemon. so last episode we saw prince Aemon, who is um alicent and viserys's middle son or second son i suppose middle child second son and you know last week they were making fun of him because he hasn't bonded with a dragon yet and he decides to take it upon himself to head down to the beach and try and claim the largest dragon in the entire realm uh which is vagar uh, who was Princess Lena's dragon? And, uh, you know, I, I was waiting. I don't know about you guys. But I was just waiting for that kid to get barbecued. Like, I really thought that's where that yeah, was going. Too. Yeah, yeah. You know, yep. I thought he was mm -hmm. going to try and try and claim him. And then he was going to die horribly. And somebody was going to blame the dragon. And there was going to lead to the thing. But it goes the complete opposite direction. He actually knows what to do. And he claims this gigantic monstrous, like, comparing so size-wise comparison he is supposed to be about the size of a aircraft carrier compared to you know some of the other dragons which are like spitfires like this is a massive mass it's like it's like claiming a you know uh, a nuclear bomb when everybody else is firing right rifles like this is mm -hmm. this is a huge tactical advantage to get this dragon and he lands this thing and he gets it back and of course he as he's coming back in he's claimed this thing and they make a point in the last episode of saying, you know, once you bond with the dragon, the dragon will never accept another rider like it's yours. So once it agrees that you can ride it, you are its rider. 
uh, till till death do you part. And of course, Vagar knows that uh, Lena is dead because he helped. So it you know he's fine with Amund you know claiming him. Uh, of course, Amund comes in and you know the girls. Uh, so Lena and Damon's daughters are freaking out because uh, their young the younger of the two of them was planning on claiming. Uh, Vagar as her own because she doesn't have a dragon. She's the one we sadly see standing in front of the fireplace trying to warm up that dragon egg last episode. She had intended to claim Vagar for herself and Eamon's basically like, you snooze, you lose. And she's like, we were at a funeral. <laughs> and we were busy, yeah. Um, so this leads to a really nasty scuffle where uh, Jason, Luke, or Jaceris and Luceris, the two oldest sons of Rhaenyra and let's face it, Harwin Strong, are uh, basically, they show up, they're there to defend their cousins. It's basically a four-on-one fight. They go back and forth, but it gets really nasty really fast. Uh, Eamon picks up a rock and starts smashing them, starts punching and just getting really nasty. And uh, and uh, Jaceris pulls out a knife at one point and slashes Eamon in the face, cutting his eyeball out. And so it just goes really off the rails from there. We end up with, you know, this scene with basically all the players in the room and, you know, the inevitable showdown that we've been waiting for for the first time. Uh, we see an unhinged Alicent basically say, uh, you know, you're my husband, the king. You have to do something about this. And he says, no, I think, you know, we have to come together as a family. We have to move on. She's boys like, we'll nope, be boys. Yeah. nope, not good enough. And so she basically tells mm-hmm. her her man, Kristen Cole, to go out and cut out uh, Lucerus's eye, Luke's eye. <laughs> and when he, even he, who is, we've established a pretty scummy character, even when he won't do it, uh, Allison takes... Oh, he was on his way to do it. He was on his way to do he, it. The, the, his boss said no, right? Well, yeah. He, and then, you know, but even Kristen Cole says out loud, he says, I am your sworn protector. So even he is basically saying like, I have lines and chopping a child's eyeball out is not on the list. Yeah, but he was making a move. He was well, heading over that way. Cuts him and, off. And and so, you know, at that point, she reaches over and not only does she grab the nearest knife, but the nearest knife happens to be the cat's paw dagger, which is one of the most important pieces of weaponry in the entire of this or the other show. This is the same dagger that they put in the fire that has the Song of Ice and Fire written into it in the blade and the same one that Arya will eventually use to kill the Night's King. This is, you know, this is the weapon. And she pulls it out, out from uh, uh, Viserys's scabbard and runs towards this child. She's going to chop out the eye and she ends up face to face and arm to arm mm-hmm. with Rhaenyra with this really dramatic scene. And, you know, we get this beautiful, delicious line from, uh, you know, Rhaenyra, who basically says, now they see you as you truly are. It must have been so hard to hide mm-hmm. behind all the artifice and those pretenses, and now they see you as you truly are, which is, oh, and what a, those two are so good. Those actresses are so good. And, uh, yeah, and she ends up slashing a, a nice chunk out of, of uh, Rhaenyra's arm and losing the moral high ground in, in one fell swoop. This is really kind of like, you know, holy smokes, but then we get a follow-up scene where on the one side we get uh, the the returned Hand of the King, right? We get the returned uh, Otto Hightower, who's now back as the king because uh, because uh, uh, Strong, the old Hand, just went up in flames last episode, and he's like, you know what? Uh, you know, and, and so it's Amond in the moment says, you know, it's well worth it, mother. I would, you know... 
I would trade an eye for a dragon any day. And Otto says the same thing. He's like, your son was bang on, like trading an eyeball for the biggest dragon in the realm just tipped the scales of war to us. Like, good, good play by your son. We end up with uh, mm-hmm. th- this sort of last play in the end of this where, you know, Laris, um, or sorry, Lenor comes back and says, you know, hey, I've been a really crappy husband. I haven't, you know, done everything I can to support you. I promise to sort of redouble my efforts, be a better man, be a better, you know, uh, you know, help you towards your ascension, Rhaenyra. And Rhaenyra's like, actually, I got another way you can help me. And so they play it out like, um, you know, she has this passionate moment on the beach with Damon. Clearly, they're in love with each other. This, they finally consummate this. And then she basically says to, you know, Lenor, I've got this other idea. We see this sort of uh, pantomime play out where. Damon, uh, uh, Damon goes to Carl, and then Carl basically comes and challenges Lenor to a duel. It seems like they're having a sword fight, and it seems like Lenor dies and Carl disappears. And the idea is supposed to be that um, you know we have we're supposed to think that Damon basically bribed Carl to kill Lenor so that he can then marry Rhaenyra. He Damon. And that's what we're supposed to think. For a good five minutes there, you're like, hmm, pretty dark. And that, to be fair, is what happens in the book. That is exactly what happens. Here, they throw you the curveball of, it was actually a ruse. They killed a server, a ser- servant and threw him in the fire wearing uh, Lenor's stuff, including his famous, his, his necklace. And Damon, or sorry, and uh, Lenor and Carl escape across the narrow sea to go live their lives and be who they want to be and, and go do that. So when we were talking earlier about the, the, the fridging and or the kill your gaze trope, given that we just saw Lenor's previous partner, boyfriend, uh, consort, um, Joffrey, get his face caved in two episodes ago, it would have been a really dark, bad thing to have, not only as it does in the book, to have uh, Carl uh, have... Carl kill Lenor, and then in the book, then Carl is in fact killed by Damon to cover up his tracks. If they if they killed two prominent gay characters right after they just killed another guy gay character, this would have been very bad for uh, Game of Thrones slash House of the Dragon. So it's good that they wrote it out this way. It also makes Damon and Rhaenyra's side seem more on the side of good versus Alicent's on the side of bad. Because mm-hmm. doesn't another character escape across the the narrow sea in in the the first Game of Thrones? Gendry, like that's isn't there Gendry? Who? Yeah, it's the one where oh, okay. where yeah he basically gets in a rowboat and rows for three seasons and then rows back. Mm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it does pay off for him at the end because he gets to sleep with Ari at the end. Spoiler, 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 spoiler. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was a crazy episode. There's so much stuff that was packed into you know an hour, just over an hour of of television. Uh, you know, crazy action. Again, things starting to come to a head, really sort of, you know, uh, heady stuff going on here. And, you know, in the end, we end up with uh, Alicent or the Hightower side of of things ending up with the largest dragon in the land and one fewer eyeball and probably a little less goodwill goodwill from the king. We end up with Rhaenyra and Daemon uh, falling in love or consummating their love and then also getting married in a traditional Valerian wedding. 
And uh, and now we have these this sort of power couple, which is exactly what Viserys wanted to avoid. And we end up with basically these like sort of now entrenched stakes. And uh, at the end of this episode, we're also headed towards another time jump because this is the last time we're going to see those kids there. We're going to jump forward another few years and these kids are now in their 20s. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this how this sort of goes from here. But man, what an episode. Great television. This was this was an really really good television this week yeah i i agree there's a uh, a good quote that i want to put here um if you're accusing me of some depravity you'll have to be more specific uh as a as a nice one i think that was damon who said that but i did not write down the note that was, in time. That was damon and that is like that is that should be the introduction for that character that was such a perfect him line right yeah yeah and and for me um because uh, I didn't catch any Easter eggs here, so every, anything that was there escaped my attention uh, personally. But I was really keen on how they showed the uh, Aemon uh, taming the dragon, uh, Vagar, because it... Uh, so you're right, I was also kind of expecting him to get toasted because this is Game of Thrones and it's like, look at this idiot. And they give the dragon a lot of personality of like, who is that? It's like, oh, it's just some dumb kid. And like, hey, 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 like... uh I'm not going to kill you here, but like, if you keep messing with me, I am going to destroy you. Like, I'm a big dragon fool. What, what did you think? To eventually being like, yeah, okay, fine, fine. Get, get, get on the harness already. Just go. Just get ride. Fine, fine. You know, like I felt actual emotion out of this dragon that does not exist and is basically a beast, right? Like, well, they, uh, they are supposed to be sensitive creatures. Like, they're not supposed to be just dumb animals. They are supposed to be quite, um, quite thoughtful they're not just yeah dumb beasts but at the same time and, and this one in particular is supposed to be quite old like at this point that's why he's so massive is that he's he's quite old and by far the oldest of all the living dragons it's um <laughs> it, it almost seemed like he was taking the kid out for a test spin didn't it Jaime where he was just like I mm -hmm. tell you what if you can get on and you can hold on we'll talk about this yeah, I I agree there, and and you're right. The the dragons are not just dumb beasts. So it's it's a credit to the the animators here that they um, they animated a character who literally cannot talk and does not have normal human facial expressions to give them that much personality that I that I read into that scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the only uh, the only thing I sort of flagged is my. Um... Easter egg was the, yeah, the cat's paw dagger just keeps coming back around and back around and back around. That one is just, it's hard to avoid. I'm sure there are many more. If I was a, 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 a even deeper scion of the, the whole George R. R. Martin universe that maybe there'd be more, but the, that was the one that caught me. I, I think the big question for this one is like this episode, even more so like it's been slow burn. It was a cold war. Now the war is, is boiling over. So if there's gasoline everywhere, where does the match? Like what's, what's the thing that really turns this from you know well we had a, a family squabble it got out of hand and this kid lost an eye to like we're gonna start killing each other this is gonna happen is it viserys dying in the next couple episodes again we've only got three episodes to go for the rest of the season we've got eight nine and ten where do they want to leave off what do they want to sort of have us build toward and you know typically in game of thrones we've seen a ninth episode has been kind of the the banger are we going to build towards something where, you know, we finally see dragons in conflict, the kids fighting, you know, actual dance of dragons, you know, the the war uh, this season? Or are we still going to continue to sort of burn, burn a little bit? Hmm. I, I was going to ask you that 
uh, is this the era of the Dance of Dragons stuff that's mentioned in, um, I don't know, like the DVD extras of some seasons of Game of Thrones, I think, is where you see the little, yes. like, animated it, it is. Uh, comic Dance book of Dragons, stuff. Yeah, the Dance of Dragons is this where, uh, where the two, basically, the two families plus all their allies basically go to war eventually. Uh, and it's, it's basically open war over who will, who will sit on the Iron Throne. Um, mm. and there's a lot of politics and there's a lot of death. And, you know, I mean, the one thing you have to remember in watching this series is the whole point of this is that this gets so bad that in the end, there are only two living Targaryens. Three, if you include, spoiler, spoiler, spoilers, three, two, one, Jon Snow. But, you know, at the beginning of Game of Thrones, there is simply Daenerys and her brother. That is it as far as the world knows for all Targaryens everywhere. So when you look at this and you include all the ones that are at Driftmark, all the ones that are in King's Landing, all the ones that are in Dragonstone, you know, cousins, every everything, like they're all gone within 170 years. So it's going to get bad. Okay, so one more thing. Uh, oh, and the, 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 you've got the, Easter, the, the saying from Lenor and, Re- and Reyna. Oh, God, that man, Rhaenyra. Yeah, that, that, that was my favorite quote for the line was, when, when Lenor is lamenting the fact that he wasn't there to help protect the kids when they have the fight with, uh, with Aemon, and he says, I should have been there, and Rhaenyra says, those should be our house words. <laughs> I thought that was great. Yeah. A motto. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yep. Cool. So what's happening in the Rings of Power? Another banger, another big pew 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 episode. So this was the battle for the Southlands begins with roar, begins with a roar and ends with a bang. Um, Jaime, what uh, what you 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 can jump into this one. What do you what did you think of all this? I thought it was a a a pretty good way to bring things together. So my elevator pitch would be spoilerific, I guess, that uh, the village, uh, the villagers battle. Adar's orcs and humans while Galadriel rides with the Numenorians and, mm. and that's how we, we bring these plot lines together, which we had talked about that like there's so much of this that is separated for so long that it hasn't come together yet. Now is the end of that, right? We've brought some of the plot lines together. Uh yep. some of the characters together. Yeah, we, this one is uh this episode is distinctly absent of elves and dwarves. It is simply about men and orcs. But it really kind of brings, as you say, it brings it all together. We've had this whole storyline of Galadriel starting out, you know, trying to sort of figure out the stuff with Sauron and piecing it all together, ending up at Numenor, getting them, rallying them, and then ending up basically racing in. And we were were talking about, well, will they be there to save the day? Eh, Kind of. Kind of. So they they, they kind of start with, you know, uh, you know, the tower that we've seen the humans or half the humans anyways hiding out at we see the orcs marching on it and we see that they're you know they look like they're going to come in there and just slaughter all the humans and and you know finally wipe out the last of the the people in the southlands and it turns out to be a big trap where uh we end up with um you know one elf uh basically having to to take on all of them uh, Arondir ends up with, you know, uh, dropping that tower that was up there on a, a group of the orcs and killing uh, a, quite a number of them in that, that sort of uh, good gambit by them. And then they go back into town and they basically fortify the town and think, okay, well, any orcs that show up, we'll, we'll kill them. It ends up being a little bit, little bit muddier from there because the first wave of people that end up attacking and they end up 
uh, fending off and thinking that they've sort of saved the day end up actually being the people that abandoned them. So that's a pretty delicious twist where they thought they were protecting themselves against the orcs. They were, in fact, protecting themselves against themselves uh, and ended up killing basically each other for 10 minutes. And then the orcs actually do show up and it goes pretty badly for the, the people. And it looks like it's going to be uh, it looks like it's going to be pretty, pretty bad for the last of the Southlanders. Bronwyn ends up getting shot full of arrows. Uh, there's a you know, the orcs end up taking the place. And then, of course, the Numenorians show up just a little bit too late and uh they end up um coming in and uh, on horseback and and you know knocking things out it's at this point where you know this is the whole the sword fake thing i don't know and i'm curious to to the two of you whether you guys sort of caught where that was going at one point adar basically says to um Oh, yeah, I forgot to write down that the guy's name, the old guy who was the first one to sort of swear, uh, the old human being who swore f- uh, his his fealty to him. He basically says to him, I have a job for you. And then that's only it's only there for like about 10 seconds. And then they cut. And then it's basically uh, we see Adar taking off into the woods, leading on a, a horse chase with uh, Galadriel and Halbrand. And, you know, we're supposed to figure at that point that, you know, Adar has the sword and he's going to go use it for some nefarious purpose. Uh, and of course, this whole time, the sword, this this mysterious blood draining sword that's been this sort of MacGuffin for this whole first run of the series uh, is wrapped up, of course, in, in uh, you know, cloth. So you can't actually see it. They end up tracking him down. They end up catching him and they end up bringing him back. And then at that point, you're like, it's um Arondir actually is the one who flips it open and goes uh oh this is not the sword it's actually uh just a hatchet and at that point we see that old man he's up back up on the tower and Waldrig Waldrig that's right and he ends up basically uh using the sword drains some of his blood out ignites the sword he uses it and it's basically a key he uses it it twists and it basically ends up flooding through all these tunnels that the orcs have been kidnapping people to dig and it ends up flooding this volcanic chamber it triggers this huge volcanic eruption and it all ends up paying off with what uh adar had been saying all along which is i want to create a homeland for my people they shouldn't have to hide from the sun so he basically triggers this volcanic eruption in what we will come to know as mount doom and it blacks out the sky so his people can walk around wherever they want and because they're basically in the southlands which are ringed by mountains uh it's a very hard spot for people to access and it's also very very hard to uh clear the clouds away so they basically it's going to cast that area in darkness perpetually and basically he's done what he said he would do he's created mordor uh or pre-mordor as we know it and um the only other thing that's sort sort of worth mentioning in there is that when you know they're trying to figure out, they figure out that obviously he's not Sauron himself. They ask him, you know, where is Sauron? And he says, I killed Sauron, which we know, of course, is not true. But it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But in the end of all this, we end up with basically uh, an ash cloud descending on the village where Bronwyn and her people are. Galadriel basically being sort of this ash cloud heading towards her at the end of the episode. And a whole lot of dead people. and just absolute chaos in this area where uh, it seems an awful lot like, you know, Adar has done what he set out to do and he's escaped and Galadriel, Halbrand and uh, Bronwyn failed and lost. And now the Southlands are lost. 
yeah, that was my uh, that and the all along the watchtower with um, with Aaron Deer were my pew pew pews of the like wow that is a, an interesting like I didn't know that the the sword was going to be like a key um, like like He Man opening up you know Castle Grayskull with his uh, <laughs> unlocking it with his sword right. like, I didn't see it going there uh, for that so I that completely whiffed on on understanding or I should say predicting that one. But it was it was pretty satisfying to see the Mount Doom stuff occur. That was uh, that was neat. Yep. Um, I cannot remember whose quote this is, but I did like uh, you cannot satisfy thirst by drinking seawater. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Oh, man, I don't know if it was a Numenorean thing. I don't know. Man, I just it, it just feels thematically like them. But I can't remember who uh, who said that. But it was a good quote. Yeah, I think that was um, Isildur's father. Uh, talking to Elendil, yeah, Elendil talking to Halbrand. I think um, I, I I pulled this one quote, which I just thought was again, it just it was delivered amazingly by uh, what's her name, Morphid. Um, oh, I can't remember her last name. The the actress playing Galadriel. Uh, before I drag her, before I drive my dagger into your poisoned heart, I will whisper in your piked ear that all your offspring are dead, and the scourge of your kind ends with you. Oof, that's some cold stuff. Yeah, yeah, she was definitely, uh, you know, leading into that, she was like, oh, you know, I've heard stories about elves getting twisted and becoming orcs, and like, like that's that's you. And he's like, Uruk, right? They prefer their preferred word for themselves is Uruk. Um, that was uh, that was a that was a good one. I I, I gotta say, I haven't uh, I haven't been super jazzed about the portrayal of Galadriel so far, but I did like that sort of take from the actress on that one. Um, that one I thought was, was pretty good. Cause it, like, it felt like a oof kind of moment as you mentioned there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's some, that's some cold stuff to say to somebody you've gotten handcuffs. Um, yeah. The other thing that I have for an Easter egg, I was trying to look and sort of see if there was any kind of connecting the, the stuff I did manage to see online that, uh, Udun, which is the, uh, the name of the episode, Udun is a word that if in one of the languages from Lord of the Rings means dark pit. So when this whole episode they've been building towards creating this place, this dark place where the people, the orcs can live safely and not have to fear the sun. Uh, yeah, they, they, they nailed that one. Interesting to see where they go from here. I mean, this obviously we talked about how, you know, the, the tradition has kind of been in Game of Thrones to do the penultimate episode of the season is sort of the big action piece and then we have one episode to sort of play it out here we've gotten this in episode six of eight we've got two more episodes to play out obviously we need to reconnect with uh the harfoots and the stranger we need to reconnect with the elves and the dwarves and the mithril uh so there's some stories to be played out there and obviously we need to figure out you know who lives who dies and who gets out of the southlands still lots of stuff to wrap out for season one but um but i don't know how they top this as far as sort of dynamic action between the the fight scenes mixed with the uh the the explosions and the volcano and everything i don't i don't think there's any more bigger action to come this season all right well, like let's move on to our watch list and john you're up first yeah i uh i had been meaning to watch this for a little while but uh you know as we've as evidenced by this episode there's a lot of great tv on right now but i did make the time to sit and watch the animated league of super pets this week uh it uh, is on Crave here in Canada, and I would imagine it's probably on HBO Max in the States. It is really kind of odd. It's basically, it's not like these are 
it's it's sort of an origin story. Crypto the Superdog is uh is is you know already established as Superman's dog. He encounters a bunch of uh animals that are staying in a shelter. They by circumstances of the movie end up getting powers and it's about them coming to grips with having powers and then them forming a team to help save the Justice League. It uh it is a weird movie because it's both really really puerile and 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 child uh, directed and it's also at times kind of surprisingly dark you know they're not talking about like oh we're gonna imprison like you know they not to spoil too much but at one point the the nefarious side that they're working against capture the justice league and you know they they have a series of ingenious sort of you know 1950s 60s-esque traps for them so at one point the flash is basically stuck on a giant hamster wheel he has to keep running etc etc but what the bad guys are essentially purporting that they're going to do in this series in this movie is kill the justice league and they use the term kill and murder and and stuff over and over again in this movie and that's sort of the ultimate goal of the bad guys is is murder and yet it's also plays kind of like the secret life of pets where it's these sort of like quirky animals and the quirky animal jokes. And there's kind of, you know, all these kind of funny animal things. So it kind of can't make up its mind about what kind of movie it wants to be. At, at times it's very, very much for kids. And at times it's like surprisingly grim and, and a little bit dark. And so it was ultimately, you know, kind of not unsatisfying, but just a little bit, um, unbalanced that being Mm. said it's you know it is for kids there are plenty of laughs there are plenty of you know funny things that happen in it there are plenty of actiony things that happen in it i don't think i'd have a problem showing it to uh you know i don't think i would show it to a four-year-old but if i was like an eight-year-old or a ten-year-old maybe um it's perfectly fine it was seemed like overkill to have dwayne the rock johnson play crypto that seemed like a lot um kevin hart Playing another uh, digital animal seemed also a little bit uh, much to take, especially with him being a prominent character in The Secret Life of Pets. But it was... Um, I've had worse times sitting and watching DC animated movies by far. It, it's by far and away better than the uh, adaptation they did of The Killing Joke, which is a, just a travesty on all fronts. Right. So it's the best DC movie you've seen in a while? Uh, well, I mean, sadly, I mean, you know... It's not much of a bar set for Justice League and, and DC movies. No, I mean, I like Suicide Squad, the, the Suicide Squad, the most recent one, better than this by far, because at least it knew what it was going okay. for. This one is interesting cool. in your description, because I, I would not have expected that. Uh, like, you don't really get that from, from the trailer. Uh, I didn't expect it, It's kind of like how we mentioned that uh, Star Trek Prodigy is like superficially for kids, but then it's like, man. This is a really dark content. Are, are kids picking this mm-hmm. up? Like, like this is child slavery at the very basic core of this series mm-hmm. here. Um, so this feels like you know after your 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 kiddos graduate from the the Paw Patrol movie, you 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 look them dead in the eye and tell them that like the night is dark and full of terrors, and then put this one on yeah. to, <laughs> to, to to start learning them how the, how difficult the real world is. Is what it sounds like, like a transitional uh, training wheels to. Like, you know, it's not all uh, fun and games. Sometimes there's some some darkness here. Yeah, I mean, it's not uh, it's not Zack Snyder, but it's uh, there. There are some lines that are kind of blurry. And, and again, it just makes it unclear who they were aiming for. I wouldn't say it's like perfect family fair. And I wouldn't say it's it's for somebody like me, who's obviously a veteran and, and 
experienced DC consumer. Uh, it, it's just a little all over the place. But uh, but yeah, if, if you just if you want something sort of funny and, you know, actiony and a little mindless, you could do far worse. Uh, on my to be watched list tomorrow in our time, that is the 7th of October, uh, Werewolf by Night, the new uh, MCU set horror show debuts on Disney+. Plus. I, I mentioned this a few episodes back that this was coming and I mentioned that I'm not wildly excited about it and I will be clear, I am not wildly excited, but I am curious. I am curious to see if, see what they can do on that platform in that genre and and sort of where it goes i I wasn't blown away by the trailer i i'm not a werewolf by night fan i'm not a marvel horror fan really much at all i'm curious though i'm curious given that marvel has this reputation of turning uh you know dog logs into gold i'm i'm really curious to see if they can pull something like this out so i will definitely check it out this weekend yeah it's definitely got a very different style to it for an mcu property it's it's way out there from what the trailer's shown us yeah yeah i mean it looks like a 1930s horror serial or something it it looks very 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 unusual maybe that's just the trailer style they were going for maybe there's more to be done there but yeah it, it just it looks very off the beaten path for even for marvel all right what you got for Tommy? You know, I, I know it always feels really early, and as we sit here, we're not quite at Halloween yet, being here in, you know, first week of October. But uh, just like any, uh, you know, store that you might go to, they're already, like, itching to put that Christmas stuff out there. And that's why I decided to tell you all about a new Universal Pictures movie called Violent Night, uh, only in theaters December 2nd, which is... um. Possibly one of the best Christmas movie concepts I might have ever thought of, of like, what if you take two existing Christmas movies, like, um, you know, classics here, like Tim Allen's The Santa Claus, where, you know, Santa Claus is an actual real, and put that in a blender with another Christmas movie called uh, Die Hard, and said, put those in a blender, and that is what you've got going on here. This, I almost feel like this trailer gives away too much, like, it is nuts do you all uh did you all uh, see any of this um it, yeah uh, I, I saw this trailer and i'm glad you put it in here i, I had given it some thought but i i was kind of hoping when you guys would grab it it, it looks <laughs> bonkers it looks bonkers david harbour as like a maniacal santa claus is just yeah i i wish it was i wish it was on a streaming service i really do like i would probably watch this pre-christmas i don't know that i will make an effort to go see it but it looks bonkers yeah, there's some there's some comments here in the uh, the YouTube video that people are like, I'm glad this isn't just some parody video or an SNL sketch, <laughs> right? Like this is uh, this is a, a weird a weird thing to to do, but um, they're they're gonna do it. Violent movie, sorry, Violent Night, uh, VioletNightMovie.com is the is the the official URL. So uh, I I I don't know, man. Like I just I just couldn't believe that. Uh, that they're they're gonna make such a thing, and I I think I'm I think I'm in on it at least to like watch uh, like you. I'm not sure that this hits the tier of uh, go see in theaters, but uh, I'm definitely gonna stream it should it become available. All right, mine's Chaos Walking, starring um, uh, Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley, uh, about a 
uh, basically the new world, and I think it's like 250 years, 240 years in the future. You know, Earth, obviously the trope of the Earth is no longer habitable, and they've, they've been making their way over to a new um, planet to live on. And um, the only problem, I mean, it, it could have been a really good sci-fi story. Um, the idea is that uh, it's now, like I said, 240 years in the future. This society has grown up of these people who've been on this planet, you know, living in this world. Um, and they have, they're so far removed from the actual going to the planet. Like they're, they're the sort of the first uh, series of people that landed on the planet. And um, they are completely abandoned by uh, Earth as we know it. The only weird thing about the movie, and it's sort of like an old West kind of town, you know, like there's a mayor and there's, you know, townspeople and the, the uh, Tom Holland lives on a farm with his stepfather and or with an adopted father and a brother um, who are both adults. And uh, the weird thing is that on this planet, you can't hide your inner voice. Right. So you hear like when you think, you know, he keeps saying to himself, he keeps repeating himself. I am. I am my first name, last name. I am. I forget the name of the character, but he's like, keep saying, I'm Tom Holland. I'm Tom Holland. I'm Tom Holland. So that people can't read his thoughts. You know, because like no matter what you're thinking right now in your silent voice, that's what will others will see and hear. Like if you're if you're imagining something, that's what they'll see. So. And the story takes place where the this an, a ship has arrived on the second the second batch of people with like four thousand people on the ship, and um, Daisy Ridley and a bunch of other people are coming down to land on the planet. Um, the men all freak out as they're coming down through the heat shield, and they're all and they all end up dying because they start panicking. Um, the only thing is that Daisy Ridley's outer voice doesn't get triggered. So she survives this horrific crash and she, you know, and so he discovers her and then they find out, he find Tom, uh, Tom Holmes character finds out that this, and this, again, it's one of these, like I said, it, it could have been so good. Um, the trope is that they, the women's voice, women don't have this problem, just men, right? So, of course, what did all the men do? They had to kill all the women because they couldn't trust them because they couldn't hear their inner voice, right? Uh, so now she's basically being hunted and he has to, you know, protect her and get her to safety and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, they have to make their way across the Badlands and they discover that in their trip that they're not the only, uh, like his, his little village of people are, aren't the only ones out there. And of course, you know, then the, the other ship is orbiting and it's, and it's about to make landfall. And, and, uh, so she was sent out as a scout. So it's could have been a really interesting movie. Um, the, the concept of these, this inner voice thing being hidden was kind of cool, but you know, the typical trope of the men not being able to trust the women and having to kill them all, um, kind of thing. Uh, yeah, that, that was a little, little, little thick. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's sort of, um, like I said, it, it, I mean, it, 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 I wanted the movie to be a lot better than it was. Right. Um, and, and, it, and it probably, I mean, my mind was, you know, I keep, I kept thinking about it after watching it, that they could have gone so many different directions with this story or with the setup, you know what I mean? Without having to fall back on the, the old, uh, women are evil and we must get rid of them kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Where did you see it, Tim? It was on, I think it's on the Netflix. Mm-hmm. I want to say it's been out for a while. It's uh, I think it's uh, a year or two old. Um, so I think he must've, Tom Holland must've done this, uh, after 
after um, the uh, Spider-Man No Way Home kind of thing, right? So around that time period. And um, it's interesting because I, 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 I didn't recognize Daisy Ridley at first. I mean, I knew she was an English actor, so I kept thinking she's that other... Was that Kira Cedric? The, who's the other one that played... Um, I'm Adele. Uh, you know the you know the one I'm With thinking Natalie of Portman? the other. No, no, no. The Kira Kira Knightley. Kira Knightley. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, she looked she looked a lot like Kira. I thought it was Kira Knightley, and I kept thinking like, why does that not feel right? And then it wasn't until I checked the IMDb that I find out it was uh, actually Daisy Ridley. But yeah, yeah. She plays. She's really good in it too. And there's a lot of interesting banter between the two of them because, of course, you know he's like imagining that you know they're making out, and she's like, "What the hell are you doing?" And <laughs> he's like, "Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry." Yeah, yeah I, I'm just looking at to see how it, uh, yeah, it came out in 2021, but uh, yeah, it's 21% on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics and 71% from the audience. And um, yeah, it's it, the, the basically says like, cool premise didn't work is, is basically the bottom line on it, which sounds exactly what you're describing, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, like, you know, yeah, as I was like, like, even like the next day, I'm sort of imagining in my head, you know, where the story could have gone, because it, it doesn't. Even though it does conclude, like it concludes in a typical, you know, kind of way, but, um, you know, it kind of, you kind of feel like there's more to it. Like, like it almost like it could use a sequel or become a TV series or something like that. You know what I mean? Like it's got one of those, that kind of vibe to it, right? Like the Planet of the Apes, for example, was such an interesting premise that when they came out with the second movie, the second movie wasn't bad. You know, and then, of course, they, they, the third movie was actually pretty good too, but they, they kind of. It's almost like the uh, the um, um, Lower Decks episode we watched today. They kind of take the, the plot and turn it sideways. Um, and then they just went too far with it. And, I mean, you know, they, they, they eventually had a TV series as well. And the TV series wasn't horrible, but because they just used the premise to set up and then, you know, had adventures kind of thing, right? Um, yeah, the, the movie could have gone... so Because I mean, it, it's kind of like... It's an interesting setup, like, from the point of view of, like, okay... Because, I mean, like, in her case, like, uh, her grandparents left her, right? And they're long dead. And then her parents, you know, had a life. And then they're dead. And she promised her parents that she would go and, you know, go to the New World. So by the time she gets... By the time it's her turn to land, you know, her ancestors are gone. And that's how long it took to get to this planet. It's kind of an interesting, you know concept from a sci-fi story kind of point of view right yeah like like wally where they they've gone off for three or four generations and they've forgotten what it's like to be on earth and things like that right anyway i guess that's it for another week so hey jonathan people want to get in touch with you where they find you you can always find me on twitter and instagram as at jpk new and jaime if people want to get in touch with you where would they find you i'm on twitter as at dev the hair all right. My name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. Until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Spotcast podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future.
know what we didn't talk about? Mm. Christopher Nolan at the Cinesphere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I raised it because I, I happened to, uh, I went into the city last Friday to pick something up and I noticed that uh, there were yeah. signs up saying that Dark Knight was playing and I had yeah. just gotten uh, the two kids here to watch Batman Begins and I said, hey, they're showing it at the Cinesphere. We can go see it there if you guys want to see it. You actually can see it on the big screen. And as usual, I got huge screen. I got one yes and one meh. So I was like, never mind then. Did you tell them that Interstellar was playing the next night? I did not. I have not have not broken that news yet. But uh, yeah, mm. um, I don't know. He he seems like he's into that's another good movie. Another negative place as far as going into the movies. So who knows? Yeah, he, well, you can work on him this weekend. Can I? Well, I'm told you're coming on Monday for uh, what, oh. what we here in Canada call Thanksgiving. No, but what I'm saying, though, is like the Sinister is closing for several months. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, this, they're doing this, renovations. Yeah. These are the last three movies for a while. Yeah. So, and it, and again, like I'd forgotten how big that screen was until I went to TIFF and yeah. sat. I sat in like not quite last row, but like maybe third or fourth row from the back. And, it, and it's still a huge screen. And I was sitting in the corner and it's still a huge screen. Yeah, that's where you I know, saw like Back to the Future for the first time in 1985. Yeah, yeah. Well, I saw the original movies that they played there back when the when oh, IMAX. First I remember came out those too. They, they <laughs> All the IMAX special ones where it's like, yeah, half hour long documentaries yeah. and stuff. They were really. Yeah, it was, and they they felt like you know it was like if they made them any longer, people would you know jump out of windows and stuff, right? So. <laughs> I also, much to my chagrin, saw the Cirque du Soleil 3D movie there in IMAX. Did you? Wow. I. In 3D. That the only movie that's made me want to bite my arm off and run from the theater faster was the Madonna version of Evita, which I had to sit through the theater with on a date. That you saw that was one? agonizing. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, this weekend is New York Comic Con as well. So I think we're going to get a bunch of news coming out of that. I think there's going to be a bunch of announcements, mm. show new trailers, renewals, panels, stuff like that. So keep your eyes peeled for that stuff because there should be some interesting stuff coming out of that. Interesting. Nerd news. Nerd news. Nerd news. <laughs> All righty. Are you gentlemen going to the, the Sky Dome for the games this weekend? Skydome, right? That was what it used to be from uh, that's, that's what we still call red. it. So be, be damned the yeah, yeah. corporation that that uh, named it after themselves. But uh, the Roger Center, yeah, yeah. Um, no, unfortunately, didn't get tickets. A friend, uh, one of my colleagues at work, got himself tickets, but then he realized he has a conflict, so he uh, he ended up giving them to a friend. But uh, yeah, it's are they unobtainium now? Was that are they sold out now? I would imagine they they put them on sale last week, but it was like at yeah. that point it was like sight unseen. It was you can basically buy the tickets, but we don't know if we'll have home games. We don't know if we'll you know like they basically just mm -hmm. kind of left it very very hard to to know what you were getting yourself into, and that's how it ended up biting my friend in the butt. He basically bought um, two tickets, and then he ended up with a conflict where he was just like, "Well, no, but I can't do that." So. But yeah, I'm just looking. There are tickets. Mm. There's still tickets for sale. There's the, the occasional pair here and there. And I'm sure if you go on the aftermarket, you can get them too. But they're not cheap. Like even I think face value for something like you want to be down on the, the 100 level, which is like field level. It's like 200 bucks a seat, which, you know, yeah. if you're a baseball fan, it's not mm -hmm. the end of the world, but that's not cheap either. Is that what they are normally? Or no, no, no that's, that's double, basically double. Okay. So, yeah. well, it's playoffs, right? Well, normal. Yeah. Do you mean regular season, or do you mean normal for playoffs? Because playoffs always go higher. 
Yeah, no, I mean that's that's normal for the playoffs uh, to do mm-hmm. to do that double price. Um, yeah, but I mean usually you can get like you can get a really decent seat uh, on the on the field level at uh, at that building for you know eighty bucks. This time of year, those are 180, 190, 200 bucks for the same kinds of things. I'm just taking a look. So there's still tickets available for Sunday. So if it happens to go to the game three of the of the potential three game series, yeah, to sit in like you know 25 rows back from home plate is 225 bucks a ticket, 240 dollars a ticket, Canadian, of course, Canadian dollars, mm. but still, it's it's not nothing. If you want to go sit up in the upper deck, the, the the nosebleed section there, where you're you're sort of way above the field, that's a hundred and ninety bucks. Uh, so yeah, I mean you, you know I, I uh, I'm a fan, but I don't know if I'm a spend you know four hundred dollars plus parking snacks and otherwise to to go see it kind of kind of fan. I I gotta mm-hmm. say I mean maybe this is being a spoiled Blue Jays fan having lived through two World Series. Uh, it, the urgency is, is, is still not there. I was thinking, I was talking about this with a friend of mine who's a Raptors fan, and he said, you know, it's amazing how much latitude you'll give your team once you've won a title. And I said, it's true to the point that, like, last time we won a title was 1993, and I'm still like, eh, I saw him win a title. Like, it's funny how blasé you, you can get. I mean, obviously, I'm still a fan, and I still support the Raptors, I still support the Blue Jays, but... The Blue Jays and Raptors both still have a lot of goodwill from the fact that they actually got over the hump and won those titles. That's why it's still like more enticing, I think, to go and and spend the money on Leafs playoff tickets or something like that because they've never haven't done it in fifty plus years, you know. Yeah, I I can definitely understand that because the the Blue Jays have been there before. Uh, from from a Toronto fan perspective, this is just the wild card, whereas this is taking place in Seattle. This is way different after 21 years of, of futility. So um, I was, uh, you know, shaking my fist at a Chicago Cubs fan at work. We're like, oh, it's like so bad. It's like, what? I wish here in Seattle we had the uh, wonderful winning history of the Chicago Cubs who have won. And I just looked it up. I knew 2016, but before that it was 1907, 1908. I'm like, that's three wins. <laughs> I want to get to the World <laughs> Series once. <laughs> you know? yep. I want to get there and then maybe win at some point. So um, they're they're doing a thing here where there is because there's no no game here in the stadium, but they're doing a um, ten dollar watch tickets where you like you know can go sit in the stadium watching the big jumbotrons and, and, and enjoy the festive atmosphere with your fellow, uh, you know, fans and everything. So very, very different. I, I seriously doubt that would be happening in, in Toronto if the game was being hosted in Seattle because of the winning history that you've had more recently. It's hard to say there has been a real surge since we, we have had those playoff watch parties for the Raptors, the Jurassic Park, and we had that for the Maple Leafs playoff runs the last few years, even though they haven't gotten out of the first round in over a decade, we people still gather en masse and watch outside on the big screens and the whole thing, especially for the um, Raptors and for the Maple Leafs. It sort of, it, it comes at the end of winter, right? It's, it's sort of May. And then mm-hmm. if they get a good run going, it's into June. So the weather's starting to get nicer and people want to get out. And that's kind of encouraged. I'll be curious. I don't know if there's anything. Uh, I must admit, I haven't looked to see if there's any kind of outdoor activity stuff around the Jays. I imagine there will probably be some watch spots, but because of the way the playoffs are now um, divided up starting this year, right? There's this this wild card round, which is a best of three, 
And then there would be the divisional round, which is the best of five. And then there's the championship series, which is best of seven. There's world series, best of seven. I'll be curious to see if obviously it's a big if for your team, my team, and all the other teams that qualified for the playoffs. But I, I'm, I'll be curious to see if the momentum builds. I don't know. I mean, you said that there's been a lot of excitement in Seattle around the, the Mariners as they started, you know, getting back into the playoffs after a long break. And that's, you know, true of the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays missed out on making the playoffs on the last day of the season last year. So there's obviously disappointment there. But I'll be curious to see if there is that fever. When we made the AL Championship Series two years in a row last mm-hmm. in 2016, things got pretty heated up. Like my mom started talking to me about baseball and my mom doesn't care about baseball, but she listens to the CBC a lot <laughs> and was suddenly talking to me about Edwin Encarnacion's, uh, you know, slugging percentage. And I was like, what is happening? So it'll be interesting to see if this team goes on a little run, if there is that momentum, or again, if they get wiped out in two straight games by the Mariners, uh, you know, who, nobody will be <laughs> like, cool, I guess it's hockey season or basketball season starting. Yeah, it'll be an, an, an interesting one here for that. Um, you know, it's been, it's been long enough for the Mariners that there's a... Uh, Vladimir Guerrero, fifth of his name uh, lineage, it seems, that, that has been the, the bane yes. of the Mariners. <laughs> um, but I, I'm guessing the Robbie Ray uh, uh, connection might be a, a key storyline if I was an announcer, regardless of what yeah. ends up happening there. It's such a strange one, too, because he came to us as a mercenary, right? He wanted he wanted to take a one-and-done contract to try and re- rejuvenate his career and, and cash in. And it paid off perfectly for him and, to an extent, for the Blue Jays. He was, you know, so good that he ended up winning the Cy Young last year with the Jays. But as much as we enjoyed having him here, he was here for a year. Like, it wasn't like he was our guy. It wasn't like... <clears throat> It wasn't like Roy Halladay where like we brought him from from, you know, drafted him, brought him up, you know, ups and downs, the whole thing. And then he left us. Oh, my God, what a betrayal. It was just like, well, you know, we signed the guy as a one and done. Yeah, it's disappointing he didn't sign here. But in his place, we also got we signed Kevin Gossman with the money we were going to sign him. And I got to be honest, I if I had to side them side by side this year, it's kind of a wash. Kevin Gossman's been great. So I, I don't know. To me, I don't know if there's. Maybe for for more diehard Blue Jays fans, again, I, I've slipped into being more of a casual fan over the last few years just because baseball's kind of, um, you know, lost a little bit of its luster for my taste. But I do think that um, it's just not, it's not as, it's it's not Roger Clemens leaving the Red Sox for the Yankees or, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's there's no, like, bad blood. It's like, yeah, it's disappointing he chose someone else, but, like, of course that can happen, right? And it, and it wasn't like, you know, we had a great year with him. It was a magical year, but eh. It happens. It's business. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. But I'll be curious. Again, it seems like the uh, the matchups, the pitching matchups are really good. And it seems like, you know, the two teams are sort of, you know, stack, it up, stack up nicely. Although I was surprised to see I didn't even know. I looked at the uh, head-to-head record and the Mariners kicked the pants off the Blue Jays this year. So I'll be curious to see uh, how this plays out. Again, three-game series is over fast, right? You know, one bad mistake in the outfield, one, you know, hanging curveball and everything changes right yeah playoff baseball is so different than regular season baseball that you know on paper the blue jays should win because they're you know when you stack up by position and everything um they're generally uh better than the mariners um but the analysis i saw is like well so for pitching wise the blue jays should be better if you're sticking to the starters but if things go sideways the mariners have better depth 
So that's that's a like, you know, don't want it to get to three. And oh, by the way, we had to get, you know, deep into the pen kind of thing. Um, So that's obviously what the Mariners should be doing of like, you know, sit there, take pitches, tear up their arms, force them to to go into their depth so that you uh, you put them in a a bad spot. So should be fun. I I never you know, you never like to say uh, we're just glad to be here. But boy, are we glad to be here. (laughs) And all the sports, all the sports writers are like, you know, every year I just got used to like you know, pre-typing out and here's how the Mariners fell short. It's like, well, they didn't, they made it, they made it to the playoffs. So there is no, no short at the end of the final game of the season. Yep. Yep. No, but, uh, and they're on the right side of the bracket too. Whoever wins this series plays the Astros. The Astros had a great record, but they also, they feasted on some terrible Rangers and angels and, and, and Oakland A's Mm -hmm. teams. I don't think they're as good as the, they appear to be. I think they, they kind of got a, a lucky break here. I'd rather play them over the Yankees any day of the week. So, you know, the path for whoever wins this series to come out and uh, and end up in the ALCS is pretty good. So, yeah, it'll be, it'll, I think it'll be a, a, a real slugfest. I'm looking forward to it. Early games for you, though. I noticed that they, uh, they're they starting, like, a couple of the games are like 11 o'clock PS, uh, PDT times, right? It's nuts. Um, it's from like 9 a.m. Pacific to like 5 p.m. Pacific for all. I, like I didn't realize all of the games were happening tomorrow. I just assumed you would logically split that, you know, uh, between Friday and Saturday. Yeah. But no, they said, nope, it is a like 24 hours of baseball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, they're doing quadruple headers. They, they anticipate about 14 hours a day every day for the next three days. And uh, yeah. the Jays Mariners are in the like they're the second game every day. So yeah, a lot of a lot of shifts at the uh, at the sports bars for all of those fans who are like yeah. hardcore dedicated to like I'm gonna watch the very first game and then the the games overlap too. Like unless you have a really speedy mm-hmm. two hour game somewhere, you are absolutely gonna have the bar with like you know the tail end of one game and the very beginnings of another game. So. Yeah, well, we'll hope that uh, Castillo and Manoa go crazy and just, you know, it's a really close, quick game tomorrow. <laughs> just a really quick uh, 27 up, 27 down kind of game, right? <laughs> like, that's right, that's right. <laughs> Double no hitter. That sounds like a good start to things. Yeah, it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting. Again, there's a lot, of, a lot of talent on both sides of the field, so it'll be interesting to see what the, what the breaks are, what the differences are, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At stake, Jaime's face-to-face with Lexidoc. <laughs> I mean, I checked. I don't think she's on Cameo. I was like oh. searching and searching. I was like, oh, I don't think she's on there unless I'm like doing this wrong somehow. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to take a look. Like I say, I, I did a quick look under Star Trek, and there's there's a decent number of people on there. But uh, I was like, who, boy, Doug Jones or Tawny Newsom? Who would you rather talk to or get a message from? I'm like, mm, tough call, tough call. You just get get Tawny Newsom to do the whole thing as Mariner. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good one right there. Yeah, addressing it to Boyd JPK, uh, bold JPK or bold Jaime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, on that happy note, call right, it a night. Call it a day. Good plan. All right, all right. Good night, folks. Talk Thank to you later. next week. Good luck, Jaime. Same to you. Yay. All right, good game. Yeah. All right. All right. 
$5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code GAME to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.